This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Buckle in, my friends. It's going to be a crazy day, especially if you are in any way interested in politics. Or if you're not, because it just kind of seeps into everything else you end up watching. Man. I'm watching a sports show, and there's references to things. Oh, are they getting into it? Like, yeah. Guys, just NFL playoffs. Go, go. It is. It's National Work Harder Day. Mm. And today I have a feeling everyone's going to have to work harder. Really? Yeah. Just because... There's a lot to there's a lot to watch. All right. Tillerson didn't do such a great job, people are claiming. Right. He he won't come out and say Russia's No. Trouble. Um And that had Marco Rubio just Yeah, Marco perplexed. Rubio. And apparently it's like, <laughs> but it's even McCain, it's Graham, Lindsey Graham. Mm-hmm. So he may not even make it out. Because you gotta have Republicans supporting you. Yeah. But those those guys are hard nose against Russia. Mm-hmm. They want say that Russia's a violator of rights, and he didn't say that. Wouldn't say it. Uh, also, we'll talk a bit about Cory Booker. We've got um, and what he said about Jeff Sessions. Chuck Schumer just came out saying he won't be supporting Sessions, which was probably obvious. Uh, plus, the whole CNN defense. Trump goes on the attack. Holy cow! Crazy town and. Uh, Chow, uh, what's her name? Secretary Chow, who yeah, was yeah. The, the the labor secretary under was it labor secretary under Bush, also wife of Mitch McConnell. He was sitting behind her. He was. That was really awesome, panel, yeah. and and they just love her. And Cory Booker, what, did you hear what Cory Booker said? No, I'm really mad at your husband. Yeah, because as a single man, your husband's never told me how to find a woman that's out of my league like you. There you go. Who starts it's, the... It's transportation. It's amazing. It's I know, I know. And Great. she's amazing. The and only question was, how are they going to pay for the trillion-dollar infrastructure plan that Trump proposed? And they're talking about Mitch, all Mitch will of, figure it out. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. That's all she's got to say is Mitch yeah. will take care of that. He's got it. Won't you, Mitch? Hmm. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so we'll get to all that fun stuff um, with some interesting quotes as well. You'll hear Trump taking on... CNN's Jim Acosta as well. Stick with us on that. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? Thanks, Matt. BBC correspondent Paul Wood came forward Wednesday to reveal that there are multiple intelligence sources alleging Russia is in possession of potentially embarrassing or compromising material regarding President-elect Donald Trump. Formerly, only a single source was known to have been aware of the alleged material. Also, the BBC reports that a joint task force, which includes the CIA and the FBI, has been investigating allegations that the Russians may have sent money to Mr. Trump's organization or his election campaign. Also, the former British spy who has been named as the author of the uh, dossier about Donald Trump that was published by BuzzFeed this week has fled his home and is terrified for his safety, fearing reprisals from Moscow. Christopher Steele, 52, fled from his home near London Wednesday morning, leaving his cat with a neighbor who was told he would be away for a few days. Wow. 
President-elect Trump tweeted Thursday morning that his private conversation with uh, Director of National Intelligence James Clapper in a statement that contradicts the spy chief's take. Clapper, it says, James Clapper called me yesterday to denounce the false and fictitious report that it was was illegally circulated, Trump wrote. Made up, phony facts, too bad, just hours before Clapper released a statement condemning the leak while saying that the intelligence community had not yet made a judgment of, of whether this stuff was reliable or not. Right. So Trump says he made a claim, and Clapper saying, I didn't make the claim. Now that's just ongoing, ongoing stuff. Last night, congressional Republicans made uh, one step closer to repealing major sections of the Affordable Care Act after the Senate voted early Thursday to approve a budget resolution. The House will likely take up the measure on Friday. The Senate voted 51 to 48 on the legislation, despite an hours-long show of resistance from the Democrats. In the end, it passed without the support of a single Democrat, notably Senator Rand Paul, voted against the measure Mm. because he does not believe fellow Republicans have a sensible plan to replace the ACA after it's gutted which is what he said was his priority, was we have to replace it immediately. you got to replace it immediately. Trump said they could do it within hours yesterday at his press conference. Yeah. Well. The, the, he, pl- the plan that's out there right now is about a two- to three-month you know, replacement process, which well, isn't— There really are like 50 pieces, right? Yes. So each piece has to be done— It's really big. —in a certain order. and yeah. As you talked about, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has officially announced that he will oppose Jeff Sessions— as a nominee for U.S. Attorney General, President-elect Donald Trump's cabinet hearings continue today with Secretary of Defense nominee James Mattis. His confirmation hearing was actually canceled from yesterday. Why? It doesn't really say. He uh, canceled it before the uh, potentially complicating his confirmation process. He uh, was he says he was also scheduled to head across Capitol Hill and talk to House members later in the day. And unusual but not unprecedented appearances before both chambers on the same day. So he canceled it. They rescheduled it for today. It might not be anything major, but mm. it just seems out of the ordinary to yeah. do such a thing. Also, Ben Carson for, uh, what is it, housing, and uh, Mike Pompeo for CIA. They'll be up for it's a busy day. Today. Volkswagen pleads guilty. will pay $4.3 billion for their emissions cheating. There's six executives that have been indicted. One's been arrested. Five others are in Holy Germany, cow. so they'll chase them down. Are they indicted in the United States? Mm-hmm. Wow. Because, they, they, you know, you fake yeah. federal guidelines. They'll come after you. Yesterday, Trump said in his press conference that the uh, America is not concerned with his tax returns. Only these reporters are right, concerned. Right. A Quinnipiac poll done yesterday. 74% of Republican voters that voted for Trump want to see his tax returns, is what the poll says. Wow. Oh, Apparently now, they are concerned. Some people are concerned about tax well, returns. Well, and reporters aren't really Americans, right? They have citizenship here, yeah. Okay. So even if the reporters wanted to see him, they could just want to see him as a, as right. a, citizen, as a citizen. But there's got to be some truth to that, because during the press conference yesterday, that was his one line that got applause. That was weird, yeah. Well, that was the interesting. Who was cheering the applause. The Politico uh, wrote that uh, staffers, Trump staffers, oh. are sitting over in the corner, led by Amorosa. Oh, yeah. And they're standing over there, and whenever Trump said something they liked, they cheered. And when a reporter asked a question they didn't like, they booed. Interesting. And like, so he had his. That's smart. They called it a Greek, was it Greek symphony or Greek? I forget what it's called. Oh, where they cheer him and. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're over so there cheering know and cheering. How you're doing. Yeah, and so he had his cheering section, and it really. And so the whole WrestleMania mm. sort of feel to it came out. And Maybe it, that's why he then did a, a hammer. What's it called? Uh. The all-star wrestling move, a reverse hammered whatever 
on Acosta. That's yeah. why he accosted Acosta. And then he tagged The Rock, and then The Rock came in and took over. Dro- dropped a chair on oh, him. Yeah. people's elbow on him, yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. And where do you begin with it? Because honestly, I don't know how Trump has such crazy moments because he really apparently had the hand of God. That's what he said. Touch him. Yeah. Here's a quote by Donald Trump about where um, – where he fits in the job creation world. I'm going to create jobs. I said that I will be the greatest jobs producer that God ever created. And I mean that. I really, I'm going to work very hard on that. Wow. Wow. In the pantheons of, of job creators, he's number one? Yeah, he will be. He's not there yet. He's still, okay. And apparently, he's setting the goal. And apparently he's reporting it from uh, like a milk truck yeah the microphones mm-hmm. from the back. back of a milk truck without any milk in it or maybe he had the spirit yeah mm. got him um here's another one that uh, we got to get to we, we talked about the fact that um he did finally admit or say that russia was involved and then he just kind of moved on so this is the piece though that most of the press were loving to hear because they wanted to hear that yeah so it made a huge headline even though he didn't – it wasn't like Russia was involved. He didn't go that far. I want to thank a lot of the news organizations here today because they looked at that nonsense that was released by maybe the intelligence agencies. Who knows? But maybe the intelligence agencies, which would be a tremendous blot on their record if they in fact did that a tremendous blot because a thing like that should have never been written it should never been had and it should certainly never have been released it was opposition research from clinton and republican sources it the one story i read had a a thought that it may have started with jeb bush mm and then progress to others as the information gets tossed around a little bit. Jeb. Jeb. <laughs> Jeb exclamation but, point. But, you know, there's nothing to But he to um, And he makes an interesting point that it, it never should have been released. So if it was in, and apparently it was in this hearing, I mean in this uh, briefing, briefing yeah. then it should never have been released, except it somehow got out. And then Clapper, uh, director of intelligence, called Trump yesterday and was very adamant that it did not come from the intelligence community. He agreed that it shouldn't have got out, yeah. but he doubts it came from the intelligence community. Well, and then you ask, well, where else could it have come from? Yeah. Well, apparently the White House, could, they have they were in the same hearings or the same briefings, and I think even others could were able to see the briefing notes. Members so, of Congress saw it. I mean, I, mean, I think John McCain saw it. John McCain Certain said, people saw it. He's in, McCain was interviewed yesterday saying he read the information, couldn't verify any of this to be true, gave it to the FBI. That was months ago. And But CNN kind of went with it in a very informal, I mean, a very protected way. They were very careful not to say Their reporting much. was that this was included in the briefing. Not right. and then and then they then there was they didn't give a, I went no. I read it there wasn't detail as Mm-mm. to what it was which left me with more questions like what are you guys talking right. about and then you read Twitter but and I like, think oh they gosh. actually were the first one to actually ever to bring it up yeah and so that's I think why Trump was mad about that except BuzzFeed then actually 
just posted so the entire CNN, document. There was a two-page summary that was included in the briefing that both President Obama and Trump got. That's what CNN reported on BuzzFeed took the 35 pages, which the two-page summary was kind was, of talking about. And had cleaned up. Yeah, they took the 35 pages and just put them out there. So that then made the president mad, and as he's taking questions from other press agents, agencies, CNN kept asking questions on the front row. Jim Acosta, the, the reporter. reporter for CNN, had this little head-to-head with Donald Trump. Can you give us a question? Since you're, no, Mr. President-elect, Go ahead. Mr. President-elect, Go ahead. since you are attacking no, our news organization, you. can you give us a chance? Your organization You are attacking terrible. our news organization. organization. Can you give us a chance Let's to ask a question, sir? Go ahead. Sir, can Quiet. you state, Mr. President-elect, Go ahead. can you state categorically, Mr. President-elect, can you give us a question? Don't be rude. You're attacking us. Can you give us a question? Don't be rude. Can you no, give us a question? I'm you, not going to give you a can question. You st- can you state categorically? You are fake news. Sir, Go ahead. can you state categorically that nobody. No, Mr. President elect, that's not Go appropriate. Ahead. Man. Yeah. And then afterwards, Sean Spicer, the uh, yeah. PR guy for the, the Trump campaign, the press secretary, came over and told Acosta if he does that again, you'll be banned. You'll be banned. I mean. This is a big deal because – and then so all day yesterday, CNN had to basically keep telling their side of the story and say, this is what we did. This is what's happening. Now, in, if there is any silver lining to all of this, all of these stations that fight against each other, that hate each other, they had a come-together moment yesterday. Or was it – yeah, late last – probably last, yesterday afternoon. Yeah. Um, Fox's network, Shepard Smith, their anchor there, defends CNN – No. Listen to the way he puts this. These aren't I statements. These are we and us statements. Interesting. President-elect Trump today told CNN's Jim Acosta that his organization amounts to fake news. CNN's exclusive reporting on the Russian matter was separate and distinctly different from the document dump executed by an online news property. Though we at Fox News cannot confirm CNN's report, it is our observation that its correspondents followed journalistic standards and that neither they nor any other journalists should be subjected to belittling and delegitimizing by the president-elect of the United States. So this isn't one reporter at Fox News taking the opportunity. This is from Fox News. This This is Fox News. By the the way, who who for years has not been seen as a legitimate source, but they are fair and balanced. Well, so there's the fair and balance. Half their day is news. The other half is opinion, they said at one, at one point. Yeah, it's hard to so know. It's hard to tell where that yeah. blends. But uh, but when you when you think about it, that's that's pretty amazing now. Hey, don't mess with my my big older brother that's been beating me up for 20 years. Right. It's cool. It's crazy. That's pretty impressive to, to go head to head with Donald like that for about 30 seconds and yeah. try to get a word in edgewise and try to say Mr. President-elect 10 oh, times boy, fast so like hard. he did. Right. Yeah. Are, exhausting. you got to know that they're so excited to not have to say Mr. President-elect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're still, well, yeah. They might be a little bitter. They're going to say other things. They'll call for logistic names. reasons and, yeah, for speaking and writing. Yeah, you don't want to write that It's a time. big deal because – What's happening to journalism? And BuzzFeed's uh, leader, Ben Smith, talked about why they did do it the way they did it. And he says forever you hear people in the news pretending like they're protecting everybody except they're just using – their sources say and they're hiding people. And the only people that can know the truth are certain 
certain leaders at news agencies, and he says, we just believe people should know what's there. If you're going to keep sourcing the fact that the president of the United States has information and everyone apparently in D.C. is talking about this document and they bring it up, I guess Harry Reid brought it up Mm -hmm. subtly in something he said. He did. And so he's like, just put it out there. Let people see. Let people see. And is that journalism? No, I mean, yeah. Because it's unvetted. It's unproven. Now now all these allegations are floating out there and you can't just – but Wash then away. it also has this echo of what Hillary Clinton went through when um, the FBI Comey, Director Comey, said – kind of suggested that there's information that he can't talk about mm-hmm. and it may have cost her an election because there's information I can't talk about in an investigation and we're not sure about it yet. It's un. It's un, it's unclear to us exactly what the information means but I'm telling you it's there. Yeah. And then a week later, ah, uh, there was nothing. There's nothing there. Yeah. <laughs> but it cost her an election. And now, interestingly, a very similar thing is, is uh, you know, tainting president-elect. So <sighs> all that fun stuff. And maybe our next guest, our next interview can help with that. America's uh, – we, we're, we're failing we – have, we have a failing experiment going on here. And it might be because of us. Uh, maybe our political world is in a shambles because of how we are, how we think, what we do. And so up next, we'll be doing an interview with uh, Kirby Goydell about um, passing the buck, the blame game, all these little tricks we use. We use it in politics. It's done all over the place. But also, as humans, as fellow citizens, we're using it as well. Stick with us. Interesting interview up next. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, and uh, man, we got a great, great discussion in line for you right here. Passing the buck is also known as the blame game, and we see it all the time, right, with our elected officials, each party blaming each other, each candidate blaming the other party or the other candidate for all of the problems in this country. You know, presidential elections at at the governor level as well, every level of politics, uh, we we could blame our competitors. We could blame everyone else that's uh, in the race against us. But in the end, are the American people guilty of playing the same game? Are we truly in charge of our own democracy? Here to speak to us today is Kirby Goydell, author of America's Failing Experiment, How We the People Have Become the Problem. Uh, Dr. Goydell, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. My pleasure. What an interesting, uh, I think, position or or uh, approach you're taking to this you make a really big point about the fact that democracy it's demanding of its people and is the idea of your premise that we're just maybe not stepping up to the plate as the people yes yes that's that's certainly part of the premise and and but but it's also more than that because it's it's also about uh the fact that uh the it's our partly our version of democracy. So anytime there's a problem that comes up, anytime there's a there's an issue in terms of government, what we say is, well, it needs to be more democratic. Uh, and what ultimately happens from that is that we open up the process, we make it more transparent. But uh, the way we do it requires more of people 
than they are able to give. So the average citizen out there in their in their normal life doesn't have a lot of time to study politics and think about politics. And so we're asking them to be really, really well informed about things that they aren't well informed mm. about. And then we're asking them to pass judgment on things that they don't know about. Interesting. So they're uninformed. And I guess some of it uh, is time and some of it, I guess, is access of knowing maybe how to study, what to study. Some of it's interest. We, we A lot of people, when we do these segments on politics, um, I have a lot of uh, listeners that are like, yeah, I don't – I'd rather talk about my diet. Yeah, and that's absolutely the case. And one of the one of the reasons, one of the things that's that I think is also important is that uh, historically, uh, people have never really been that informed. And so there's there's this idea that if oh we went back to some golden age where citizens were better and and they were more engaged in the process, and you know the Lincoln Douglas debates where people mm. went out to hear people speak at great length, that's mostly myth. People have always been uninformed. Uh, the more troubling thing, I think, is that we now have a media system and we have a political system that asks more of these people. Uh, and and uh, and so if you don't want to be informed, you can you can avoid politics altogether. Uh, just imagine, you know, uh, when I was a kid, if the president came on, we all had to watch the right. president. Today, if the president comes on, you just switch over to the comedy Comedy Central or something else, and avoid it entirely. It's so true, I, and I guess that's why it makes sense. You're you're a communication professor, so you sit there and look at the fact that we don't even have to. We, I remember probably we're probably about the same age where if there was a, a presidential speech on the television set, it ruined your night. Like it messed up everything, right? Yeah, and now yeah. now it's like eh, my kids don't even know when the president's speaking. Right, right, because they can just go over to Nickelodeon or right. or whatever, you know, or just stay on their phones and. There for them. Yeah. So really, the communication systems, I guess, are as well, and, and the media. Um, except then, and this is a really weird, I guess, part of this. It also seems like everything's about polling now. Everything's about every candidate's basically just running on what the polls are saying, um, not even necessarily what I, I don't even think what their constituency's saying. Yeah, and, and, and polls, I, you know, I'm, I do public opinion polling, and I don't really blame the polls for this particular uh, problem, but the fact that they're there all the time means that we're constantly referring to what the people want and what the people are thinking about an issue. And again, in a lot of cases, the people aren't even terribly informed about the, about the issue, or their opinions are going to change over time. So one of my favorite examples is the Iraq War, uh, where at the very start, we forget this now because it's unpopular, but at the start of the war, it was overwhelmingly popular. So when we have mm-hmm. candidates say, oh, I was against the Iraq war from the beginning, what they're really saying is I disregarded what the public said at that point, and now now I'm willing to say that I, that I was against it. Uh, but, but at the time, if you were against the war, you were, you were going against public opinion, and public opinion was driving a lot of the process. That is so true. And then we scapegoat, right? So then – so everyone scapegoats Bush as having made the biggest mistake in the world, except he was going with public opinion. He was also going with what the data, I guess, w- was saying, and everyone was behind it. And now he's the scapegoat when in reality we all should be to blame. Yeah, yeah, in part. And, and now there, there is a failure in terms of information. So we right. can argue that, 
the president misled us in terms of wep- weapons of mass destruction. We can blame the opposition for not standing up more and, and, and then the Democratic Party for not standing up more uh, and, and trying to make a clear case against the war. Or we can blame the media for not doing a better job in terms of investigating uh, some of the claims. Uh, but but regard, it, it, regardless, uh, the the situation was that the public was mostly supportive at that time, uh, and and they were willing to go along with this. And so, when you look at what happened over the war and over public opinion in the war, it started out very supportive. It declines, uh, then people want it withdrawn, and and so you really create the conditions for for bad foreign policy. And and our and our policy on that has actually followed public opinion pretty well. We supported the war, then we wanted out, so we got out, so we created a vacuum, and now we have a mess. Hmm. Do, do you think, we always say that, uh, you know, the democracy is not perfect, it's, it's the best system there is, and in the United States we're running it better than anyone else. Is that true, and is democracy the problem, or is it just too high of a, is it too high of a bar? Yeah. So one of the things that I wanted to do with the book and and one of the things that I wanted to be provocative intentionally and say, maybe when we when we think about what's wrong with our political system, we shouldn't just reflexively say, oh, let's put more democracy and and that will fix all the problems, because it's pretty clear it doesn't. Um, So when we move to to more democracy as a solution, oftentimes what that means is it's the loudest, most partisan voices who drive the process, because the, the people who aren't as interested drop out of that process. Um, what democracy, what the people do really well, um, or at least reasonably well, so that we can say this is this is how democracy should work. They make big judgments about whether the country's moving in the right direction or not. Uh, they have a good sense about whether things are okay or not okay. They're less good about, you know, what should our health care system look like? We probably don't want the public directly involved in making decisions about health care policy because they don't know it enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they know is whether they think the system is working or not. And so uh, what we need to do is, is sort of, uh, you know, I think we need more expert opinion. We need more reasoned judgment, uh, the, the kind of system that the founding fathers intended when they when they created our constitutional design. Not just a voice of pain and if it's working or not, but, you know, I guess a more informed voice about how to actually go about fixing it. That's, I guess, not as easily swayed by one side or the other because they're misinformed. Yeah. When, when we look at when we look at specific issues and, and it, you know, here's here. healthcare is a good example. Um, so when we look at the early polling on healthcare, for a long time, people have said there's a problem with the system and the system needs to be addressed. But they're very happy with their own care. Even going into uh, the passage of Obamacare, public opinion overwhelm or not overwhelmingly, but a majority supported a larger federal government role. Obamacare gets passed. Most of the people most then then support moves against Obamacare. Um, and as as people make this a case, even today, when you break it down into the specific provisions that make up Obamacare, people support a lot of the specific provisions. So, so what do you do with that if you're if you're trying to have a system based on public opinion? Uh, you know, if you if you uh, overturn Obamacare, you create all sorts of problems oh, because yeah. people don't actually know what's in Obamacare; <laughs> they just know that they don't like it. Right? Isn't that true? They don't know. And 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 now there's so many that have have now tasted it. You can't just take it away, even if the system isn't working right. It's uh, it's it's hard to inform enough people to to know what to do with it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and so even people who have who now have health coverage who didn't, uh, they blame Obamacare. People who see their premiums increase, they blame Obamacare, even though a lot of their premiums and a lot of their uh, those were increasing anyway. Um, so the fact that it didn't control some of the increased costs in, in terms of health care uh, is it's difficult to know whether that should be attributed to the program or whether that should be attributed to something else. And and then we end up blaming the other party and we become more partisan. We end up blaming the government that just isn't working. We then end up blaming uh you know, the immigrants coming from other countries, we end up blaming everyone our, except ourselves. Yeah, we blame everybody but ourselves. And and part of this is, you know, it, it is a little bit of a problem in the sense that individually, of course, we aren't, you know, we I, I don't have enough power and you don't have enough power right. and most of your listeners don't have enough power in order to really influence policy. Um, but what collectively we are responsible for the outcomes in our and and uh, in, in our political system, and our politicians actually are really really responsive to what we what we think and what we say, um, and maybe and probably too much. Um, and so what this has done is it's created a political system, as you said, of blame. So the goal in politics now is more to blame the other side and to stay on your ground rather than to work together to find common ground and, and, and try to try to actually solve problems. Uh, and you can see this in, in leaders who, uh, you know, Eric Cantor, for example, in Virginia was a was a Republican leader uh, who was defeated by a little known professor from George Mason. Uh, and uh, part of the reason was he was spending too much time on Washington politics trying to actually solve problems. <laughs> see, that's what will kill you. right? <laughs> Yeah, and again, yeah. but again, the the electorate wasn't informed, and he was, I guess, an easy target. And I guess that's the crazy thing too. In the media, it's not the media's fault, but you can take advantage of it and point out, you know, who the who the naysayers are a lot easier today with all of the different forms of media. Do you think our founding fathers foresaw any of this, or foresaw anything about the uninformed electorate? Absolutely, they were very much resistant to the idea of, of democracy when uh, when they designed the U.S. Constitution. They didn't want to use the word, and it, this is the sort of an interesting uh, tale anyway. That democracy at the time was considered a bad word, and they associated democracy uh, with demagogues and then with tyranny, and and so they really consciously tried to avoid using the term democracy at all. Um, and, and called the, the new system of government a republic because exactly because of that fear. And you can see in the constitutional design that, that what they uh, worked very carefully to do was to make sure they knew government had to be based on consent of the governed, that there had to be a democratic element in it. Uh, but they also knew that, that democracies would want to do crazy stuff. So what you want to what you want is the input of the public coming into the system, but then reason, judgment, and 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 expert opinion winning out, so that whatever the policy was that emerged had been thought about and was not simply a reaction mm. to public passion. So that's kind of the democracy representative government we've created. Yeah, that was the one that was created. Yeah. And over time, what's happened is. Uh, as crises have come up, as problems have come up, we said, let's make the system more democratic. Uh, Interesting. In, yeah. Yeah. Less rep- less having an informed representative purely making the decisions. Interesting. We'll take a break, continue the discussion with Dr. Uh, Kirby Goydell and uh, his interesting book, America's Failing Experiment, How We the People Have Become the Problem, which means also I'm assuming we could become the answer. When we come back, we'll talk to Dr. Goydell about that. Stick with us. 
Welcome back, my friends. Today we're talking about democracy and your responsibility in the mess that you might see going on. If you are frustrated with what's going on with the political system, all the partisanship, uh, the passing of the buck, the lack of any progress, we can blame the government. That's a great way to try it, I guess. You can blame every candidate that's ever run or has ever served. You can blame everybody trying to immigrate and come to this great country. Or we could finally talk about uh, another part of the problem, maybe even a bigger part of the problem, We the People. And to join us to talk through uh, his provocative book, America's Failing Experiment, How We the People Have Become the Problem, is Dr. Kirby Goydell. He is a professor in the Department of Communication and Public Policy Research Institute at Texas A&M University. Dr. Goydell, thank you again for being with us. Uh, this is great. This is great. I love uh, I love what we're learning. Talk to me about um, when, when I think of this, I mean, you, you've brought up information and the fact that a democracy basically puts a strong demand on the on the members of the democracy to be informed, um, to uh, also, I guess, be open to hearing ideas and trying to be a little more solution oriented. Is there Does this seem like something that we're ever going to move towards? Does it just have to get so bad that we finally decide to become informed? Or how do we start moving everybody to be more involved and informed in the democracy? Well, I think I think the, the the solution resides partly in thinking about our political system and, and what it asks of, of individual voters and, and individual citizens uh, and how it creates a climate where we become more partisan uh, and we, where we become more polarized because of the way the system is structured. Uh, and so uh, the idea that people are going to become, you know, remarkably more informed when they have, you know, daily lives and, and regular jobs and, and when they care about other things. Uh, we, that's probably not going to happen. So what, what I would prefer, I mean, my, my sort of thought solution for this is to think about how do we get the political system so that it is uh, more reflective of the moderate, the independent, the middle, median American voter uh, who is not uh, a super Republican and, a, and, a, and an ideologically consistent conservative or not a super liberal uh, and, a, and, a, and a Democrat. How do we get it so that it focuses on the middle and so that it's more moderate and more solution oriented? And, and, and that's sort of how I approach the question of, of how do we fix this, this problem. Is this done by leadership? I mean, do we just need a really powerful leader who fits that mold and can reach that group? Um, I'm, you know, I worry about really powerful leaders exactly for the reason of democracy uh, that, that, uh, you know, and the, and the founding concerns about about democracy is they were really they wanted to make sure that whoever was our president was separated from public opinion. And that's the reason we had the Electoral College in the beginning. Uh, and they actually thought after George Washington, no one will be able to get a majority of the Electoral College. So it will always be decided by the House. So the president will be two steps removed from public opinion. But I think what it, I think where we need leadership is we need to say we need more collective responsibility in our political system. We need some way to judge whether the political system is collectively solving problems and that individual politicians are then held accountable for solving problems rather than taking the right stands on issues. And I think we can do that through districting and thinking about campaigns and uh, as, as, as a mechanism for fixing fixing what's wrong. Hmm. And uh, can you give us a good example? Somebody Who fits the bill for that? Who do you see, I guess, on either side of the party that is more of a, of a solver, a solution-oriented 
uh, versus just partisan. <laughs> I guess it's hard because well, whoever you say, somebody's going to think, oh, that guy. Yeah, that, that, that's 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 that's. But a, we need an example, uh, right? It seems like we need we need to we need some role models. Yes, yeah, and and I think I think uh, probably better than picking someone from the contemporary uh, political sort of situation because they're all part of part of a system that makes it difficult to uh, to to be in the middle and to, and to be more moderate is to think about sort of how the system has changed over time. Uh, so if you if you look at at Congress, for example, for a long time we had a number of Southern conservative. Uh, Democrats, and they would work with the Republican Party across the aisle on a number of issues, and then they would be with the Democratic Party on other issues. And then on the Republican side, you had a bunch of, you had a good number of liberal, Northeastern, Rockefeller Republicans who were more liberal on social issues, uh, but were very fiscally conservative. And so they would also work with the Democratic Party. When you look at major legislative achievements like the Civil Rights Act, uh, that only happened because Johnson was able to work with the Republican uh, President Johnson at the time huh. was able to work with uh, uh, Republicans and, and get their buy-in in, in terms of civil rights. Uh, so, is that yeah, what's so happening? Because it seems like now everybody's being pulled to the extremes. Yes, of the party, and there is there doesn't seem to be as strong of a middle moderate on. I mean, because those those groups you would think could talk. Yes, absolutely, and and, and so what we've done in terms of our districts. Uh, in terms of districting in the, in, in the countries we've created. And part of it, this is not just gerrymandering. Gerrymandering is part of it. But we've created a, a large number of safe Republican districts and a large number of safe Democratic districts uh, at the House level. And so what that means is that if you are a Republican in the House in a safe district, you don't worry about the Democratic Party. You worry about a challenger from within your party saying you aren't a true conservative. And the same thing on the, on the, on the left, which creates a situation where you're less likely to compromise uh, and and more likely to say, oh, I need to stand for the right position here, even if it means nothing gets done. Yeah, interesting. That and again, if the districts have been laid out that way to provide safety and some security to the parties, um, then until that changes or until you get an extreme position or somebody from the extreme in one of those districts, it's you're not going to see much change either. Yeah, and if and if we could make the districts look more, if the districts were more diverse, and so that any time uh, a member of of Congress had to vote on something, they had to think about how does this affect me in terms of does this create a challenge from uh, from the other side as opposed to within my own party? I think then you have a have a situation where you're more likely to have have uh, increase the incentives for. Uh, compromise and, and accommodation and working towards solution as opposed to to being you know more ideologically or partisan or, or pure on partisan grounds you in your book you um, in your book America's failing experiment you mentioned the fact that these presidential campaign cycles end up really exhausting the electorate <laughs> it ends up wearing <laughs> us out talk about that because I'm feeling yeah, it right now fatigued yeah Absolutely, and I think our presidential process is is exactly sort of what's wrong with the with with what's going on in American democracy. So when we look at the process, the reason we have the process we do is it's almost by accident. You know, why do why do Iowa and New Hampshire get to go first? Well, because they were first. Um, does that make any sense? Right. Uh, and so. But, but what also happens is they start earlier and earlier in the process. Uh, no one can move in front of them. 
if you want to run for president, you have to begin raising money at least two years out. Uh, you're going to begin having debates in 2015. This this makes no sense. Why do we have this long, mm. convoluted process? We could easily have a primary six weeks before the general election and be done with it. Um, but but why? Because our political process didn't happen by any sort of rational design. Our presidential process didn't happen by any rational design. It happened by just sort of historical accident. And then once we have it, we say, oh, yeah. And uh, and and the other part of it is that process has become more democratic over time. People still don't like it. Uh, we can pick apart whether superdelegates are undemocratic or caucuses are undemocratic or whatever, whatever sort of rule you don't like. But over time, what we've said is we want more public involvement in the process. And at the end of the process, we like it less. Right. And and it goes on forever. And then the Republicans yeah. had, what, 17 candidates? And, and then <laughs> yeah. you start to look at just the dilution of the numbers. And is that how we got Trump? I don't I mean, there's a million reasons I think Trump is there. But is it well, it's it's a weird process. Yeah. And the, and the process, I mean, when you think about the fact that and, and I'll, I'll pick on both Trump and, and Bernie Sanders here, when you think about the fact that these two candidates could make a serious run within a party primary when they were not really members of the party hmm. before the, that 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 is sort of a nonsensical uh, process in terms of thinking about how 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 primary should work and how we should should select nominees, but it happened that way because we've said let's move the party elites and the establishment and let's lessen their role and let's increase the role of the regular voters. Um, and and the, then the other part of this is at the end of the process we now have the two least liked nominees in history. And, yeah. and and so and so now we go. How come how come we don't yeah. have any choice in this presidential election? It was our choice. Yeah, we the voters made the choice. No, I didn't vote um, for him. Yeah, right. You probably didn't <laughs> vote. Did you even vote? I mean, I guess that's what was it like? A tiny percentage of people even voted in the primaries. Yes. So yeah. and so. Yeah, we need to be involved, don't we? Absolutely. Or or we need to think about how to how to do the system so that it's that it's more reasonable. We could easily move to regional primaries. We could have this process uh, in a much shorter period of time and voters would be more engaged because it was a shorter period, because it was more intense. Uh, and then it would go away the way the process works now. The, the candidates, by this time in the process, we're all tired of these candidates. Yeah, yeah. You know, we all just want it to be, can someone just win so we can go about our daily lives and right. not have to watch this silliness anymore? In the UK, uh, they do it in a month, right? Yes. They yes. get it done in a month. I mean, let, yes. okay, well, let's just, we'll take three months, but let's be done with it. Yes. Think of how much and, money and, that would save, because you could only spend so much money in three months. Yes. And, and, and Thomas Patterson, Thomas Patterson, he's a Harvard political scientist, and uh, he's been making this argument for years. And what he argues is that ultimately voters would be more knowledgeable as a result because the way the process works, that voters aren't really going to pay attention until they have to. So if you look at this, this long process over states, uh, if you're in California, are, really gonna pay, are you really going to pay much attention in Iowa and New Hampshire? Well, probably not. Mm. You're going to wait till it gets closer to your, to your time to vote. Um, and so by that time, though, there's been so much going on that the race is almost all about horse race. It's all about polling. It's all about who's winning. Even when they cover issues at that point in the in the election cycle, it's often about, okay, what's the strategic game going on? Right. Why, is it, why are they changing their position? Well, they're trying to appeal to this type of voter as opposed to, you know, what what does this mean for the country in terms of, uh, in, in terms of policy? And it's about um, pneumonia and... 
<laughs> hair. So uh, this this is the other thing. I mean, everyone and you hear all the pundits saying um, none of this really matters. Don't worry about any of these polls till after Labor Day. Well, great. Yes. Then let's just get rid of everything <laughs> before Labor Day and just get to Labor Day. And I mean, if that means it is about a three month race, what would you suggest we tell our kids? How do I present? democracy to my family to to maybe light a fire, get them motivated, driven to want to be an informed member of the electorate? Well, I, yeah, I think the, the, the one thing that's really important is that democracy does respond to the public input. Uh, and in and, and the book, I've argued maybe too much so, but the higher the quality of the input, the better the output. And, and one of the problems that we're seeing is that the input is of low quality and the output is subsequently also of low quality. Hmm. And we're not supposed to say that because you're not supposed to say that democracy isn't working. Uh, democracy, I mentioned the founders didn't like using the word. Today, it's such a popular word to say something as democratic is automatically to say it's good. Uh, but but uh, democracy will respond to public input collectively, and we need to have better quality input. Hmm. Great advice. Great advice. Great insight. Dr. Kirby Goydell, thank you so much for your time and your your great work. Everybody go check out the book, America's Failing Experiment, How We the People Have Become the Problem. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Really, um, you see the chaos, the craziness go down in Washington, D.C. Imagine if you were called by a Senate hearing to sit there for a day, maybe two, and have everything asked of you. Would you? Would it just be easy for you to send in your taxes? Or would you be a little afraid, like, Ugh, I don't want everyone knowing what I make. I don't want everyone knowing everything about me. Imagine that. And imagine then you know that uh, you're going to face, I don't know, 20 senators and know that 10 of them hate you or really don't want you in there. Um, You also have a boss that you have to communicate for and the boss has said pretty much everything and you're going to have to maybe disagree with your boss. It's a tough job and – I'm not sure we make it better by making it so ugly and so competitive and so nasty because I think it does drive a lot of people away from wanting to be involved. I I also wonder um, how much we should be complaining about it if we aren't willing to step into the arena and take it on a little bit. And again, you don't have to be involved at the highest level, the, the federal level, but Could you name for me your local representatives? Do you know who are your representatives for your state board of education, for example? Do you know who your mayor is? Have you ever been to a town meeting to petition or to question or to support an idea? Because if you haven't, then you're probably not having the full experience. And instead, you're living vicariously through Anderson Cooper on television. So let's let's step up. If we're going to complain, which I get it, let's complain too. But let's complain and get involved. Let's just not complain and disconnect. We will take a break, my friends, and uh, come back. I got a whole new hour of fun, excitement, and ideas that hopefully can help you feel better about life, take you to the next level. Stick with us. 
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. This is the show where we try to give you all the information we can about how to live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. Welcome to the program, man, and happy uh, National Work Harder Day. Trying. Today's the day you need to work harder to achieve a higher level of excellence in your workplace. Ah, but it's so hard. I could work harder if there weren't all these people here. <laughs> Welcome to the show. That is a, it's January 12th. And on January 12th, that is the one day you work harder. That kind of sounded like a tease for the interview that you've got coming up. About? Uh, being introverted, introverted in the work. workplace. Yeah, it might be. Some people just would rather be alone. Nobody believes it, but I am an introvert. It is always interesting when somebody says, oh, I hate people. Yeah. But you're a person. But you're, you are a people. Yeah. <laughs> you, are, you are one of them. So or how when, can you hate yourself? Or, or when somebody says, I hate babies. But you yeah. were a baby. Yeah. How could anyone hate a baby? So they, they must have been a baby with low self-esteem. Oh, hated themselves. I know. Don't you hate the low self-esteem baby? So depressing. Do you want to drink your baba? I can't. Too it's, many problems going on. It's hard. I'm not, I've never been good at bottles. Yeah, it's tough. It's hard to be a baby. It's even harder to be a president-elect. Hmm. Nice segue. Are you comparing Trump to a baby? No. But it's there's a lot going on. I mean, some people would say he's a baby. Um, well, in fact, Vice President Biden told him to grow up. That's right. It's pretty intense. And, but he also said, I'll meet you in the parking lot or something like that. Did, did didn't they? They, didn't they, they, they were going to fight. They threw yeah. it down. Yeah, that would be bad. We've got so much to do today, which is why Work Harder Day is the perfect day to do it. Tomorrow, by the way, slack off day. That's right. We can just kick back. I think we're doing all reruns. Yeah. Coming in late. Mm-hmm. Nap. Heading out early. Mm-hmm. That is a, Now, that is a great, great day. We will also be talking about uh, a German man just standing there one day, tries to, you know, walk out his front door. It's bricked up. Somebody put brick, bricked up his front door. Donald Trump? I don't know. No, German. Hmm. Angela Merkel. That, I think that was Israeli. <laughs> that was Israeli. Yeah. But uh, – We'll get to those crazy stories. A lot of news and information that y- you got to pay attention to. And, s- and some of it matters. Some, some of the news we cover doesn't. But a lot of it really is important information. So let's go to the important news with the important news man. Terry South, what's going on around the rest of the country, Terry? Thanks, Matt. President-elect Trump announced Wednesday he would step down from all positions in the Trump Organization, a response to concerns over the conflicts of interest that could arise from running a global corporation and the United States of America. His sons, Don Jr. and Eric, will run the company, along with uh, CFO Alan Weissenberg, I believe. The Trump Organization won't enter into a new any new foreign deals, with domestic deals being 
uh, to be submitted to rigorous vetting, he said. Trump will additionally not be informed of any new deals and the uh, the company makes. So when they have family dinner, there will be no discussion of work, which is really the way you should have family dinner. You no, shouldn't bring no business to the table. All. Walter Schaub, the director of Office of Government Ethics, responded to President-elect Donald Trump's plan to pass off the Trump organization to his sons on Wednesday, saying that the move was inadequate. To alleviate a potential conflict of interest, we cannot risk creating the perception that government leaders would use their official positions for profit. Hmm. So we'll see what happens. President-elect yeah. Trump on Wednesday addressed his thoughts on repealing and replacing the Affordable Care Act, which has been a hot-button issue on Capitol Hill. He uh, promised that repeal and replace of the act would occur essentially simultaneously, positioning that the replacement proposal would be submitted probably the same day as legislation repeal the law. He goes, if not within the same hour. Ooh. Wow. But the House and the Senate are actually talking about more of a three-month program to yeah. try to replace the whole thing. Just hours after uh, Donald Trump on Wednesday once again vowed that Mexico would pay for the wall along the U.S. border, Mexico president bluntly said no such thing would be happening. Enrico Pini Neto com- uh, commented on the wall controversy at the end of a speech at the National Palace on Wednesday evening. It is evident that we have some differences with the new government of the United States, like the topic of the wall that Mexico, of course, will not pay. That it was cited as saying that by on CNN earlier in the day, speaking at his first press conference, Trump had doubled down on the campaign pledge to get Mexico to cover the cost of the wall. Of course, in the form of a reimbursement after initially the money is paid for by the government of the United States. Yeah, they're they're not going to invoice them, and they won't be paying through an invoice. Yeah, but there's ways to make them pay. Yeah, you charge them to come into the country. Yeah, they have ways of making you pay. <laughs> And they've and the Trump campaigns talked about that, but they don't. Well, even just aid. That too. I mean, if there's if yeah. we give a billion dollars in aid, we're only going to give you how much was the wall? Okay, four hundred thousand, four hundred million in aid. Right. Okay, next. But this constant, they're going to pay for it. I know. Why do we care? Government of Mexico's like yeah. no, no, we're not. Yes, you are. No, and we're finally, not. Yes, Dean Spanos. He owns the San Diego Chargers. Yeah, NFL football team. Oh, he says he plans me. to move the team to Los Angeles. According to a report in the USA Today, Spanos allegedly told NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and other fellow owners of the news on Wednesday it would mean starting over in a new market, sharing a new stadium with the Los Angeles Rams, and abandoning the team's home for the last 56 years. What? Now, does he know that – I mean, they didn't have a team forever, right, for 10 years? How for many Los years? Angeles? Yeah. Yeah. Then now they're going to have two again. Yes. Well – could be collectively one because both teams are kind of yeah. You know, so bad. two halves equal yeah, yeah, one yeah, maybe. But it just seems like it competitively, it's maybe not smart. I mean, it's a bigger market, I guess. Yeah, but they'd, they'd save on stadium costs. They'd be in a bigger market, that kind of thing. But they have the Rams. Yeah, but they have a huge stadium. They're going to build a new stadium. Yeah, the and, mega stadium. And, and the Giants and the Jets, they share a stadium in New York, right? And the Lakers and Clippers and the NBA share a stadium in downtown Los Angeles. Right. So there's, there's there's possibly a pattern. They ought to do what they did in that movie Little Giants and make them have a one-game playoff, and the winner gets to be the team. Mm. And then, you know, the winning team feels bad, so they say, do you want to be on our team, too? Now, there was, it's a great message. A great there message. was a plan for the Oakland Raiders right. to move to Los Angeles with the San Diego Chargers, right. but then the Rams moved from St. Louis to Los Angeles, knocking the Ram, or the Raiders out of contention for that. So the Raiders are talking about moving to Las Vegas. Yeah. 
And yet San Diego Chargers are thinking of moving to L.A. still. Yeah, right. There's got to be another state that needs a team. No. Nothing big enough. That's the problem. You need a, a huge population to support it. Mm. And that's hard in the West. You have California and <sighs> everything else is smaller. It's hard. Yeah. I feel bad for these NFL teams. Why is that? Just They make a billion dollars before they walk on the field. Yeah, but they have all that money and yeah. this identity crisis. Nobody in San Diego wants to pay like, crazy amounts of money right. for the rich people to They refuse to be held ball. hostage by a football team. Yeah. And then I guess they're assuming that the fans will just automatically go up to L.A.? No. But the L.A. fans would come watch them. Yeah. Do they, will they? I mean, maybe, no. The Rams are back. And they're not watching the Rams. The Rams have more history, don't they, in yeah, L.A.? And, and than... after about three games, people went, oh, yeah, these guys are horrible. Yeah, let's go surfing. Yeah. It's hey, a, a, who wants to go to Disneyland? It's a bright, sunny day in California. What am I doing in what a stadium? That's, a, that's the hard part. Apparently, they've had problems keeping bottled water in the stadium during games. It's brutally hot. <laughs> There's concession issues. Holy cow. I feel so bad for them. Yeah. And now they're going to have a mega stadium. Once they get it built, yeah. Mm-hmm. That'll be great. Hey, uh, German man, listen to the story. Police say a man in Western West Germany ran into a wall, literally, as he opened his front door to leave the house uh, earlier this week. The man was heading out of his house on Monday morning, but found um, un- that apparently somebody, some unknown perpetrators, had, uh, without even attracting too much attention, built a wall. In the doorway during the night. See, this is what Donald Trump's been trying to do at that border. Mm -hmm. Just slowly put a a wall up. He had to tear the wall down in order to leave. Police statement uh, said that the man must have felt like a a Berliner in August of 1961. Just where the wall went up. Now, he tore down his own wall. Mr. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Done. What would you do if you woke up, you're going to work, and you walk out your door and there's a wall? I'd probably say, looks like I'm not going to work today. Hey, hey, hey. call your call your boss. Um, I'm taking a wall day. You will not believe this. I, I walk. No, really, there's a wall right here. Here, I'll send you a picture. Yeah, that's, it's not a metaphorical wall. No, it's it's serious. Hey, Larry, we're all facing walls in our lives. No, really, John, this is... You need to knock that wall down. <laughs> this is a real wall. Uh, the owner of a weekly upstate New York uh, newspaper says a man bought hundreds of copies of a publication in a successful effort, or actually unsuccessful effort, to keep others from reading about his DUI. So he had a DUI, which is, yeah, it's problematic. You don't want people to know about your DUI. And uh, the 43-year-old Joseph Talbot, wow, they got him. They took his picture. And he did not, in fact, when he was being printed, the, he asked not to be photographed because he didn't want his mug shot in the newspaper. And the, the cops took it anyway. Now he's ripping, rick, ripping up all the newspapers there. Oh, my heavens. Lighting him on fire. Joseph Talbot. So he bought how many papers? He ended up buying, um, the circulation is about 12,000 of the Times of Wayne County. Oh, wow. Uh, he ended up buying a thousand copies in the end. Ooh, so close! At a dollar twenty-five each. That's expensive. <laughs> just to keep his name out of the paper. Mm. No, why would he? And he's burning them. Yeah. Apparently, there's ammunition in there as well. Why Actually, he... that's I'm, I'm building a fire here in the corner. Oh, is that? So... I, I thought I smelled smoke. Why? Um, 
there's still, you know, another 11,000 11, or so in circulation. Hmm. He must have a lot of money. Apparently, or a lot to lose. And has he not heard about the the internet? Yeah, the interweb. Yeah, I'm sure it was posted there too. Hmm. Seems like a futile act. You know what the lesson is? What's that? Nobody don't, reads the paper. Don't get a DUI. Oh, maybe he was, maybe he was trying to build the world's most epic fire. Yeah, and needed some kindling. Well, <laughs> could you see him like stealing newspapers kindling. off people's doorsteps? Yeah. That's like he's out there running his morning jog and stops by the gas station, just knocks over the machine. I'll take fourteen papers, please. <laughs> fourteen papers. <laughs> he like starts assaulting the uh, paper boys, knocking them off their little bikes. <laughs> Give me those. Well, now they're adults in cars. Yeah. Apparently, it's rare to have a child out on a bike delivering well, papers anymore. You don't want them killed. Well. Where where do you guys have newspapers delivered? In my neighborhood, there's a, just a boy on the corner with a cap on, standing really? on a on a milk carton, yeah, just shouting the news. Get mm-hmm. your paper. Is it like a nickel? Does it cost a nickel still in your neighborhood? Yeah, and that's when it's high. Also, that's the new, like, that's the Sunday edition. You know what? That's Obama right there. They're dancing in the streets. Yeah, that was it. it, it the price went up to a nickel, if you remember. When Barack Obama became president, used to be a penny. It has to do with Obamacare. All goes back to Obamacare. There you go. It's always about Obamacare, which they're trying to deconstruct. Ever so slowly, not as fast as they bragged about. Crazy. Florida convict blames Verizon for letting him steal a man's identity. It was your fault to make it so easy. Oh, that's not Verizon. No. But you know what? That's where you got the they phones. They probably huh? have those phones. Uh, Florida, Florida man sentenced to 10 years in prison for using stolen identity to obtain more than $300 in products and services from Verizon. He's now suing the company because they should have stopped him. <laughs> it's your fault that I committed a crime. James Leslie Kelly was convicted in October of grand theft and criminal use of personal identification and information in connection with the theft uh, um, in May. Um on that date, Kelly went to a Florida Verizon store, used his ID to steal an existing customer's uh, with the same first and last name but a different middle name. And he claims in the federal lawsuit that uh, that if Verizon had been doing their job, it was due to their ne- negligence that uh, the loss of civil – he has now has a loss of civil liberties and freedoms. Huh. He is seeking $72 million in damages. Mm. Kelly has a long criminal history. Between 85 and 2014, he was convicted at least 37 times on charges, including rental property fraud, trafficking in stolen property, receiving money through fraudulent use of a credit card. So he's proficient at his his art job of choice. So he's basically charging a million per conviction. Pretty much. You owe me a million for every time you should have caught me. Yeah, he should have. I mean, if Verizon were doing their job, he wouldn't be a criminal. And now that he's been arrested for it, if Verizon will pay up, he will not have to be a criminal again either. Because once he gets out, he'll have $72 million in the bank. What should Verizon do? You know, they can afford it. Have you seen those data overcharges that they uh, – yeah. Yeah. Those They're are fine. brutal. Painful. They're fine. But if you, if you keep going with the suit, what if they lost? 
Now all of a sudden you're paying this guy. You're right, I did. I mean, now you were in jail because we didn't have better systems. Cray, cray. One final story. Yeah. Do you see Taco Bell as being healthy? Mm. In what sense would you say like, healthy? Like healthy. More unhel- a healthier alternative than other fast food places. No. If you just eat one taco. Taco Bell's new menu offerings are reducing calories and sodium from food and its food items for customers wanting a healthier meal. This is out of the USA huh. Today, right? The fast food chain has made a series of changes over the years, eliminating artificial flavors and trans fats, uh, low-calorie fresco menu, and reducing sodium across the menu by 15% since 2008. The chain now plans to eliminate XL sodas, cut an additional 10% sodium across the menu, and remove some antibiotics from its chicken by t- early 2017. Wow. Right? So they're, they're they're taking some steps to give you some healthier options. Well, it seems if you remove the antibiotics from the chicken, maybe it won't be as healthy. Right. But 2008, that's around the same time they introduced the Dorito taco, which is well, full yeah. of artificial flavors mm-hmm. and sodium. Mm-hmm. Right. So they give you the options. You can't have also it both ways. Some, now, uh, they're announcing uh, its intention to replace the taco shell with fried chicken. Wow. Taco Bell started testing what they're calling the naked chicken chalupa. Whereas the shell is a folded disc of fried chicken in California in 2015 and Colorado 2016, but now they're looking to push it nationwide. Oh, that's convenient because they partner with KFC. Sometimes they're in the same store. Yeah, I think they're owned by the same company. Finger licking bueno. So uh, it's called Yum Brands, I believe. Oh, yeah. Uh, It says giving what it calls a healthy halo, Mm. the fried chicken... Christmas. That's that like fat liver, fatty liver halo that you get yeah. when you're a little jaundiced. So you'll be able, you'll be able to get a taco. The, the shell is actually a disc of fried chicken mm. that's folded in, so you can have that. Oh, so okay, now I get it. Oh, yeah, so that I would try. Now that yeah, they are healthier then. But a tortilla because you you don't want to have a carb when you could just <laughs> right. have a fried protein. Right, makes sense without antibiotics. The pictures are wonderful. It's got a, a fried... And I love Taco Bell. Don't get me wrong. It is one of my great favorites. But I'm not buying that. I mean, I'm, I am buying that. I'm not buying the story. Okay. Just and say, I'll buy that all day. They're trying to say they're healthy, and then they introduce the fried chicken taco. Oh, boy. Wow. Okay. There you have it. Trying to help you live longer, folks. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the impact of being shy for young adults as they make it into the transition into adulthood. It's a tough step. And uh, even as it impacts their jobs, their ability to get a job, keep a job, stick with us, helping you live longer. And if you're shy, integrate into the world. We'll take a break. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, in studio with us today is uh, Professor um, Dr. Larry Nelson, who is the who's a professor here at Brigham Young University in the Department of Family Life, and he's here to talk to us about being shy. And so think about that. If if you think back to your high school days, you can think of people that you know. Oh, he was probably a shy kid, or you probably can picture a little kindergartner boy who stood in the corner instead of going out to recess. But as we get older, as we progress, at some point the shyness. It, it, it's going to impact us in a major way, especially as we move into adulthood, as your kids go on to school, eventually as we marry. 
Um, so we wanted uh, Larry to come join us today and uh, Professor Nelson to, to talk to us about that. Dr. Larry Nelson, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. Great to have you. Talk about shyness. And um, is shyness the real term for it? Is that – what is – is it introversion? What do we call it? Uh, that's a great starting point. Let me try to uh, uh, clarify that. So oftentimes we we just think anybody who's quiet, anybody yeah. who withdraws – Basically, anybody who's not an extrovert yeah. is is shy, but that's that's really not the case. We know there are a couple different uh, forms of being withdrawn, and so uh, very quickly and easily, maybe a shy are those who they want to interact, but they're afraid. They're just they're afraid. afraid. It's like <clears throat> it's anxiety. It's a, it's a social anxiety, maybe. Uh, anxiety is in its extreme form okay. when when it starts to interfere with uh, normal behaviors, but. Um, but just that, as, Insecure. You, as you said, that that kindergarten child who's watching others play but is is afraid to join yeah. in. Then there's um, another form of withdrawal, the introversion, or, or we uh, call it uh, being un, unsocial. It's not that they're afraid. Um, it's not that they don't like other people. They just these individuals like solitude. Huh. If, if given the choice of, I. I Talk to my college students. If you have a Friday night, no homework, no responsibilities, do you want to go out with friends, go on a date, hang out, or do you just want to sit at home with a book or yeah. a movie? These individuals would choose the solitude. Uh, but if they're asked to interact, if they need to interact, they do just fine. They just prefer solitude. And then there, there's a third form of those individuals who just really don't want to be around people. They do all they can to avoid but. Uh, so that that shy group is the really interesting one. Um, uh, they're afraid. They want to interact. They, they really do. Yeah, they even afraid. long to get in the game. They want to play the game, but they just don't know. Maybe I guess how to bridge, how to get in. It's that it's that beating heart keeps yeah. them from doing it. A lot of them have the skills too, but they just can't control the beating heart. And indeed, we do know that this is a very physiological in nature. Hmm. This isn't a, a learned behavior. It's. It's physiological, it's yeah. Is it, what do we do, I mean, because you have to also, you know, grow up. I can almost hear a dad like, grow up and get to class. But if, if you're shy and you don't want to try something, it's not just that you're not being a grown-up. It's you have an aversion. You have a fear. You have you have a physiological response that might be keeping you from doing something. Yeah. Let me give you a, uh, an example that maybe uh, individuals who, who aren't shy maybe – Maybe see what it feels like. So because it has to do with uh, autonomic nervous system, that beating heart, uh, electrical activity in the brain, I could go through Mm -hmm. the physiology. But just the best way to understand it is uh, picture when you walk into um, a movie theater. Physiology is normal. Heart rate is normal. You sit down in the movie theater and it gets to that scary part in the movie Heart rate goes up, muscles tense, breathing becomes uh, uh, irregular. So you picture normal going to that state. Well, a shy individual, we know about their physiology. Their normal is that heightened state. And so then when they go into the movie theater and hit that scary part, you can imagine how – Yeah, exactly. And that's why you'll see individuals, they want to interact, but when it comes to that moment – uh, their their physiology takes over. And so saying to a shy child or a shy individual, hey, 
stop being so shy yeah. it would be like saying to a tall person, hey, stop being so tall. So true. It's not <laughs> happening. And, and so a lot of this is we don't understand it. I mean we just think, well, everybody's a little – you know, shy. Yeah, you'll grow out of you'll it. You'll grow out of, out of it. Yeah. But then, so if we're not giving them the tools and the insight into what they're going through, through life, I mean, I could see it. You could see it starting to happen in kindergarten. I saw it with one of my children starting to see it in kindergarten. Absolutely. And But they need the tools. They need the skills. Otherwise, you're done with them in high school and you try to send them on to college oh. and they might fall right apart when they hit exactly. adulthood because they don't have the coping skills. And life tends to throw even more curveballs than maybe you know adult life might than than the traditional you know a school system when you're in high school. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the uh, the transition to adulthood, everything up to that is just kind of practice. Yeah. But you have to go to school as a child and adolescent. Uh, um, so many uh, you're not going to work, but that transition to adulthood, you get more more is required of you, but there's more autonomy, so that some individuals could just choose to let the fear overtake them. But in, in in young adulthood, or as I refer to it, emerging adulthood, they need to, uh, they have roommates. They've got to talk to professors, oh, yeah. the, the, the world of dating oh. and romantic relationships, the workplace. They're, the the context for social interactions now are so varied and so numerous, uh, but the autonomy they have as yeah. well. To hide. To hide, yep. So is it true – I've heard this somewhere where um, – so let's say I, I have this shyness and I am hiding and I'm going to college or whatever, but I'm also hiding. I can hardly wait to get back to my dorm. I'm avoiding difficult situations. Um, it seems like the more I avoid, the harder it actually becomes. Does it become like compounding? Because now I I haven't gone to class four times so now it's harder to get the grade I need, but I now need to go talk to the professor. I mean, it seems like this would be compounding in my life because I'm so avoidant. Oh, absolutely. That That's probably the exact reason why we tend to see that shy individuals um, finish their education. It takes longer to finish their education than others. They start careers later than others. Mm. They enter marriage later than others. Everything just, just seems to be delayed. Yeah. Is it – and I guess it's – Part of it's you just need to recognize that. Is that the pattern? We just need to know what we're dealing with and then start gaining tools. Is that how you get through this? That, that's a very important part of it, uh, learning to be able to regulate or control those emotions so they don't uh, keep you from doing the things that you need to do. And, and that starts at a very young age. The analogy that I like to give is if you wanted to teach a child how to swim, well, there are three approaches, and two of them would be awful. And <laughs> one is if you just say, "Hey, you got to learn." So throw a kid in the That's deep end. That's how I learned. <laughs> it was thrown in <clears throat> without a, a deep end of the pool, without a life jacket. Yeah. Well, there, m- many are going to drown. Uh, just forcing a shy kid out there and saying, "You got to do it," without giving them yeah. tools, they're going to drown. But if you sit on the uh, edge of the pool, as it were, in the nice comfy lounge chair and just point out, well, look at how they're doing it. They're likewise never going to learn how to swim. Right. So you, you got to walk into the pool with them. You got to get them in the water. I uh, I talk about challenging but achievable um, uh, approach to this. Have kids do things that as adults, we may we may think so silly and so easy, but I, I have a very shy daughter and I would have her hand my 
money or debit card at, at the store to the cashier. Yeah. I would uh, – one, I remember uh, one that really stands out is we were at a fast food place. I, I was with my daughters and, and this, my shy daughter got uh, the toy and her meal and, and she said, oh, dad, I already have this. Uh, would you get me a new one? And I looked at the counter. There was nobody in line, mm-hmm. so I'm not throwing her in the deep right. end of the pool. The person who had helped us had been really kind, and so I said, okay, this is a safe setting for And I looked at her, and I said, nope, if you want it, you'll need to get it. This is what you say. Ah, so and you helped her. You coached jacket. her through it. But then I said, if you want it, you're going to have to do it. I'll never forget. My little girl looked at the counter, looked at her toy, looked at me, and took the deepest breath that <laughs> any young child's ever inhaled. That's great. And then she went up, and, and when she came back with her toy, her face was flushed. She was yeah. breathing. She uh-huh. had been scared, but I said, did you do it? Yeah. How does it That's feel? Huge. Great. What would you say? So reinforce that. And, and she did it. Challenging but achievable. Challenging but achievable because that's how we turn off the autonomic. We have, we have to show the brain that you can do it and you have to show the brain enough that you can do it and no one died. And then I guess the brain will start to learn. Not to react as much about the stuff. Well, you know, you learn how to control that beating heart in the moment, and yeah, you 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 learn to have the confidence in yourself that you really That's can. That's powerful. Let's do this. We're speaking with Dr. Larry Nelson here from um, Brigham Young University and the College of Family, Home, and Social Sciences. We're talking about shyness and how to move, you know, on to adulthood and how to help our children move through it as well. Stick with us. We'll take a break. We'll be right back, continuing the discussion on shyness right here on The Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, honored to have Dr. Larry Nelson with us. Larry uh, is from the College of Family, Home, and Social Sciences here at uh, Brigham Young University. He's a professor there and uh, has been studying extensively shyness um, and, and the impact it can have on developing young adults, uh, emerging adults. Um, Larry, thanks for being here. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks. I mean, you see it on campus, too. I just dropped another son off here on campus you know, and you put him in their little dorm room and you think, good luck. <laughs> but he's got to go make everything happen now, right? His yeah. dating, he's got to choose careers. He's got to confront professors. He's got to get a job. If you have any shyness, that is a daunting task. And, and those who aren't shy, they, they don't, just don't They don't relate, it. do they? No, they don't. They, In fact, uh, studies show, and I'll, I'll do this in class, I'll say, how many of you uh, think you're kind of shy um, fearful in situations, and I see it in class and in studies show that about sixty-eight to seventy percent of people will say, "Yeah, I'm a little shy." Sixty-eight and, to seventy. percent Yeah, but that's self-report because what's funny is when you ask them, "Well, why do you think that?" and they'll say, "Well, I get nervous speaking in front of people. I get nervous interviewing for a job." And you, and that's when I tell them, I say, "That's normal. That's all. Those normal. are all contexts yeah. where it's normal for your heart to start to beat. Right. Imagine how you feel in that moment, and walk around, and all social settings induce that. Mm-hmm. And that's for the first time they go, 
oh, that's what it must be like. Because oh. if you're not shy, you just – You don't get it. You don't get it. My son and I, we always joke about, oh, we would just love to kind of be like the dumb jock that has no shyness. <laughs> that just Because it just seems like, man, they can say anything. They can do anything they want. And it doesn't even dawn, it doesn't even dawn on them that this is a nerve-wracking moment. Yeah, it – and that's why it's so hard and it starts to take its toll what's what's sad and needs to be understood is the more that we that we we treat our kids like that just snap out of it just yeah. stop it Buck just up. get out there and right. do it yeah now they start to not only experience the physiology the beating heart but then they start to uh, think about themselves I, you know I'm I'm not that good yeah, I rejection. can't do things yeah. um, and they just so now you have not only the physiology but the mindset that I can't do it. And, right. And that's, it's so hard. What do we do? And, Larry, we'll have to have you back to go in-depth on this because this, this doesn't go away. And, <laughs> and I mean I, I always thought – like I always heard that introverts are about 50 percent of the population might see themselves as introversion or introverted. But we live in a – we in the U.S., we live in a very kind of extroverted culture. Oh, yeah. So all of a sudden – you just seem strange if you're not outgoing and loud and bombastic and it's it's hard. So what do we do? What do you suggest parents do who are raising shy children, especially as they're getting to that age where they now need to kind of emerge and go on their own? Yeah. Well, again, start early. Start with those challenging but achievable. Starting with young kids, I would do things. I would make sure that I would invite friends um, other kids over to your house. So there's that um, challenging. There are going to be people. You're going to be in a social setting, but achievable is that it's in the familiar context of your home. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to them going over and maybe the family has a dog, and so that dog's going to make them afraid, or big brother's around with his friends. And and so challenging but achievable. Um, I always make my, uh, made my shy daughter when uh, she was growing up at the restaurant. If she wanted to eat, she had to order it. Yeah, but oh, before yeah. the server got there, we would talk about what are you going to say? So she was prepared, but she had to do it. Yeah, let them lead. Don't steal their turn or you, you're you actually enabling. Yeah, actually, actually, uh, our research shows that, that the natural response of parents of shy kids is when they see their child in distress, good loving parents, yeah. Step say, up. okay, step yeah. up, I'll do it. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. You don't need yeah. to. And that just – that doesn't help them learn the skills that they need. By the same token, though, you can't just turn around throw them in the deep no, end of that No, you have to coach pool. them, get them skilled up. Work with them and then let them do it. So if you if you start that at younger ages and throughout adolescence um, and then help the, uh, the emerging adult, the young adult start to see, I'm not always going to be here. What can you start to do to take those challenging but achievable steps – and um, so important because we see challenges, if not, they they get themselves in predicaments, as as we talked about previously, but again, where maybe then now they're not doing well in school. I, right. I have a friend who, she had an A in a class, uh, but uh, the final project was a class presentation. Uh, she actually took okay. a lower grade because she wouldn't do it. Yeah. Um, because of that, so they may find themselves um, not doing well in school. They might we we find that their relationships, romantic relationships, and then marriages, they're not as happy in them. They're not as satisfied. We saw it with friendships mm-hmm. earlier, and and what I think's going on both with friendships and adolescence, and then 
romantic relationships is they get into these relationships and then, as happens frequently, you realize this isn't really yeah. what I what I want, but then they have a choice. Well, I can stay here and not be as happy as I could be, but I'm familiar with right. it. Or the alternative is I got to go back out and yeah. start all over. And many, many will decide, just, I'll stay here. Just stay here. This, this, is this I know. Yeah. And so you can see how this, without some intervention, without some self-awareness, without those regu- uh, tools to regulate the, the fear and anxiety, could lead into some challenging circumstances. Oh, it And I see it. I see it in my own kid. Um, okay, we're going to have you back. We, we could do a whole 40 minutes on this subject. I um, love it. Appreciate you being here, Larry, because it really is it's it's important. Again, Dr. Larry Nelson, we'll have him back to continue this discussion about shyness, how to break down those barriers. Uh, it's it's huge, folks. It's, have some compassion. Don't just tell your kid to buck up. Come on, ask a girl out. Understand there might be going more going on underneath um, the whole problem. There, stick with us. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, uh, to the Matt Townsend Show. Of course, we always like to talk food on the show, and who better to bring us that than Terry? When there's a development in food. Development. Yes. Uh, Earlier, we talked about Taco Bell. Yeah. And they, re- they want to replace You'll get some of Bell. their taco shells with a disc of fried chicken that you will put the taco seasonings and stuff in and then fold up as a Heaven. taco. So your taco shell is now a fried chicken. Mm. By the way, chicken starts in a shell. Ends in a shell. Apparently, or as a shell. As a shell. As a shell. 7-Eleven. Yes. Oh, thank heaven, apparently. They are bolstering their breakfast menu. Oh, as Finally. they should. Totally. I'm With so sick of those. breakfast pizza. Pardon? The new pizza features a flaky biscuit crust, comes topped with creamy gravy, egg, sausage, bacon, and ham. Mm. They're available all day and night and can be heated in the oven that they provide for you. Next to the corn dogs. You mean that oven that's just disgusting? Yeah. But someone like you had me until you brought the oven into it. So apparently, like. You mean they don't have a chef that's in the back room, like with a. These and a sous chef? Freeze dried, and who knows where they came from. But $1.29 for a slice, two bucks for two. That's value. $5.55 for a full pizza. What? Like a 12 inch. See, if you don't Mm. buy it, you're losing money. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. They'll, maybe the math, they'll throw the in a Slim Jim or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> to stir your drink with. And uh, what do you think about Krispy Kreme donuts with M&M's, Oreos, and like Hershey chocolates on top? Well, why not? Yeah. I mean, you're dying anyway. The yeah. Krispy Kreme donut, though, would dissolve before the candy topping because it's like cotton candy. Mm. So Krispy Kreme, but only in Japan. Always. Ah. They're going to do ah. this. Why do you do this to Blasted. us? They, they started uh, uh, putting these candies on top of it. So it goes, they, it's the Sweet America range, they call it, which is a trio of American-born brands coming out in support of the globally recognized donut chain. M&M mm. Oreos and Hershey's will all be making an appearance, and each of the limited edition offerings look to so good that we can, you know, just a food blog. So they go off on how much they want to eat it. So uh, Sweet America Hershey, which ups the chocolate content with a coating of white chocolate, 
chocolate on a fried ring of, of bitter chocolate dough. Mm. Right. The classy look donut is topped off a drizzling drizzle of milk chocolate, clusters of nibs purchased perched on the surface. Yada yada yada. And then you got the M and M's one. It just it's covered with M and M's. The chewy texture of the donut is said to act as a nice contrast to the crispy chocolate pieces, mm. creating a fun and delicious combination. No, keep talking. Keep talking. Yeah. The Sweet America Oreo is a feast for the eyes as well as the belly, with an entire topping made from the well-known vanilla cream usually found inside the Oreo cookies. Uh. A sprinkling of crumbled Oreo cookies provide a nice crunchy texture to the treat, which comes complete with a mini Oreo biscuit and a white chocolate drizzle. But only in Japan. Only in Japan. See, every time I feel like I'm going to have my faith in the American dream restored, you just crush it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fair. Seriously. What about America? Where would Japan be? Without us. Well. Anyway, hey, uh, each generation has their most iconic and well-known songs, right? You know, the songs that just, you know, every word to, every even the younger generations are singing these songs. So what is it that makes a song great? What do they have to do to make a song that stands the test of time? Well, who better to help us than Caitlin Thomas? She's here this morning with us to talk through the subject do you do you know your parents' music? Do you oh. are there certain songs, Caitlin, that mom and dad used to play that you're into? Well, it's not even necessarily I'm into them, but I know them. I like I have the Tiger plays at every sporting event I've ever been to. Man, I have the Tiger. You know that doesn't seem like a very old song. How did that? What was it about that song that made it so worthy of football stadiums? I have no idea. Uh, the movie. Right, and so that's what we're going to talk about. Like, what is okay. it about these songs? You've also got people like Michael Jackson. Yeah, have you heard of him? I mean, only a few times. Incredible, incredible. Elvis Presley. Oh, yes. What did he do? The Beatles. The Beatles. They're on here for sure. Slim Whitman. I don't know that one. We used to play Slim Whitman a lot on the show. But then you've got some... We're, cr- we're critiquing it, though. Yeah, so. you're totally. Cr- and he's incredible. This. Um, Tell me this doesn't just. When I'm calling you. Man. There's a bear. That's It's a bear repellent. <laughs> Slim <laughs> Whitman. But I was reading, cause, so I don't know, that's what we're going to talk about. What makes these songs great? You've got songs like, uh, what, Stairway to Heaven, mm. Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Smells Like Teen Spirit, Nirvana. Mm-hmm. My generation still knows these songs. Yeah, of we course. still stream them on Spotify and Because these are these are just keepers, right? Uh yeah, anything Billy Jean, Hey Jude, Sweet Child of Mine, uh, Guns N' Roses. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then even the 2000s is starting to have its iconic songs. We had Britney Spears, <laughs> Boy Bands, yeah. um, Destiny's Funk. Child. Well, that's 2010s. Yeah. Nice try, though. Just put you in your place. He's all right. And so it's like projecting what what songs from my generation will be iconic in another 30 years, you know? What do you think? I mean... Uh, well, I don't know. What what makes songs great, Matt? What do you think? Well, to me, because I am... I love music. And I collect a lot of songs. Mm. And I can listen on Spotify, love them, except I want to own them. I want to own them so I can play them anytime I want. And then I play them for my kids, and my kids, it's really cool. But so what makes it great is if it moves me. 
It's got to move me. It's what songs move you, man. In fact, I'm pulling up my list right now. You you probably won't believe it, but it's incredible. Um, this sweet child of mine, when I was on behind the garage door or through the garage door, behind the, through the garage door. Into running into the garage door. I, anyway. wish, I can never remember it. One of the great <laughs> programs here on BYU Broadcasting. I propose that that's one of the best songs ever. And why is that? Because it just, it's soft and yet it just has got a killer tune. Well, and I mean, I know that song. It's still played in modern movies. They'll still use that song. Yeah. Um, let me give you, let me, let I me. Would, you know, Back in Black, ACDC, you'll Back hear that Black. all the time. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's just a lot. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite songs is Shut Up Train. You probably haven't even heard it. Who sings that? Um, Little Big Town. Oh, I've heard of them. And it's about Shut Up a Train that keeps coming through every morning and waking people up. And it's just really loud. Yeah. Relatable. Totally relatable. I love the Beatles, of course, but um, I'm lo- I'm looking. I'm thumbing through. I've got what so many. What did the Beatles do, man? That was so iconic. They Why were hip. They, they were alive? cool. They they came in. They changed people's lives. They made you feel like you were edgy. So did Elvis. Yeah, so, and Elvis came in and he had the you know the dancing. He and had the, the Forrest Gump moves. The mm-hmm. hair and the he Have had you, the whole thing. Well, and that deep. Voice him and Johnny Cash came in. I love lyrics. Hook by Blues Travelers. I'm not sure these are iconic, but Geronimo by Shepard, Cotton Eye Joe mm, by Rednecks, okay. Lullaby by Billy Joel. Maybe oh, Billy Joel. Okay, he's you gotta love on that. There. Come on, Elton John. He's on my list. Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. Son of a Preacher Man by Aretha Franklin. Are you kidding me? Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. These are iconic. So what do artists nowadays have to do to be iconic in another 30 years? A, let's start with some talent. No auto-tune. Write your own music. Write your own music. Don't just take old, awesome music and revamp it into a whatever. A new song. (laughs) Use your own head. What do I, what, if I were an artist, what do I have to do to be played in a sports stadium in 30 years? Uh, like I the Tiger or get in a Disney movie. Oh, that'll help. Throw in the name of a sports team in your song for oh, no okay. reason. Because mm-hmm. like I the Tiger was Rocky, you know. But my kids, movies. we have a whole list of songs that we play just to, when we're driving to one of my kids' games to pump them up. Pump them up, yeah. And then everyone in the car by the time we're done, we're amped. I love we're that. Amped. So does it need to be in a movie? That helps because that I think gets better exposure. Do you need ESPN to pick it up? Probably. Hmm. Then you need to, you know. You need to sell your soul. Or it could be. I think that that's probably true. Yeah. Or it could be like on American Idol. Yeah. I mean. So there's no real, I guess, we only have about 30 seconds. Is there a real, is there a real way to make a song iconic? I don't know. I guess time will tell. You never know because some of these songs that are iconic weren't really huge when they first came out. Oh, right. Took them a couple of years. Oh, there's took so them many dying. Good Some songs. people had to die first before they became iconic. I mean, look at how many Prince songs were sold after the day he died. Right. I mean, he just died, and then boom, everyone's buying Prince. Oh, there's the answer. Just kidding. Well, that one is thing is, answer. though, dying helps. It does help become iconic. For <laughs> it just makes it harder for you to spend all the money. Mm, yeah. Caitlin, thanks. It's great insight, and you Thursday. just you brought the spirit up on the show. Well, have a good Thursday, everybody. You're awesome. Keep it up. We'll take a break, my friends. Just know, in our book, you are iconic. You're already there for us. 
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, leading you to a healthier, happier life. Welcome to the program. Man, oh man, happy National Work Harder Day. Today of all days is the day that you uh, refocus your efforts to achieve a higher level of excellence in your workplace. Find more ways to be productive, accomplish those tasks, put your head down and work. Notice we gave you about 11 days after the new year to do that. So wait, why do I have to put my head down when I work? Am I being punished? Well, no. So you can fit into that little box we put you in. Get in the box. Get in the box. Put, put your, head, your down. head down. You know when they put a guy in the back seat of a police car, they they usually like touch his head and tell him to watch your head. Well, the joke's going to be on you because I'm going to be safe in a box when uh, when a big bomb shows up. Yeah, that'll be my little bomb shelter. Let's not call it a box. Let's just call it a cube. A coal. Sure. Cubicle. Happy National Work Harder Day. And it really it wouldn't. It wouldn't hurt you to sit there and reset some goals. Right now, we're putting together our development plans for how to have a better year. And it's kind of nice to look back at your last year and say, yeah, I set these goals that I many times completely forgotten about throughout the year. Actually, And we met met a lot of them. They are going to hurt me because they're all physically – they're all physical related. What do you mean? Like yours. Hmm. You don't think exercising hurts? Oh, it hurts. Last night, it hurt bad. I'm back at it. I'm back at it. It's interesting that how – and we'll get into this with our, our guest, uh, Heather Johnson, Hadge, we call her. She'll be joining us to talk about how to set New Year's resolutions with your family, your kids. But when I work out, my kids work out more. They do more. When I'm working out, for some odd reason, my wife looks at me differently. She gets that twinkle in her eye, that little sparkle. She's like, you're looking good. Thank you. Hmm. She's like, what's this all about? Just trying to live long so I can live with you forever. Does she get suspicious? Yeah. She's like, what'd the doctor say? He said, I'm going to die because I'm falling apart at the seams. That's what the doctor said. But she does. She loves it. I don't know what it is. I think it's my ab. You're, you're one ab. Yeah. Okay. I didn't want to start with like six. Just get one. Just do one at a time. Yeah. You've, you're a man of simple tastes. Mm-hmm. You don't need to take six. No. You'll just take one. Take leave one. more for others. I'm going to do the upper right ab, and then I'm going to do the lower left ab, and then I'm just going to ab it out until they all meet. There are plenty of abs to go around. <laughs> you don't need to be selfish. That's right. I'm going to also work on my calves and my glutes. Got a lot going on. Hey, uh, along with National Work Harder Day, it's also the day of Trump Fest 2017. It's more of a Trumpapalooza. Trumpapalooza on the hill. Uh, Mad Dog Mattis is is talking to the Senate right now. Um, Pompeo is talking. He's the CIA director, potentially. Chow talked earlier. She's the Secretary of Transportation. Lots of people talking. Hmm. some, you know, still reeling from yesterday. CNN, Trump had a little throwdown. Lots of news. So 
if you if you haven't been paying attention, you ought to. This is one that it's just this is where it gets really fascinating in your political world. Whatever side you're on, you ought to pay attention to this one. Um, but before we go any further, we again remember we're going to visit with the good brethren at BYU Radio. We got a hero of the day. We got a lot to do this hour. Mm. Plus Heather. Okay. Terry, take it away. What information do we need to be paying attention to? During his Senate confirmation hearing Wednesday morning, ExxonMobil CEO Rex Tillerson, otherwise known as T-Rex, he's supposed to be the new uh, Secretary of State. He was grilled by Senator Marco Rubio on his ties to Russian President Vladimir Putin, asked whether he would call Putin a war criminal. Tillerson said, I would not use that term, causing Rubio to bristle and reply. It should not be hard to say that Vladimir Putin, his army, has committed war crimes in Aleppo. Tillerson again hesitated, telling the senator, I look forward to being fully informed, before Rubio sharply interrupted, none of this is classified. These people are dead. Whoa. That's Rubio. Wow. Yeah, so kind of some interesting back and forth. But he doesn't want to make a, he doesn't want to put a position out there. He doesn't right. want to say... Tillerson also vowed during the confirmation hearing to make it a priority to counter the global boycott, divestment, sanctions movement against Israel in the interest of preserving relations between the U.S. and Israel. Tillerson also addressed the U.N. Security Council's resolution last month that condemned Israel's settlement building in the West Bank, saying he does not support the U.N. and other negotiating bodies intervening in the ongoing conflict between Israel and Palestine. So pro-Israel. Pro-Israel, good. Yeah. Okay. Former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani, we were asking yesterday, I think off the air, we were discussing, where did Rudy go? What happened to Woody? Well, Rudy apparently will advise President-elect Donald Trump on cybersecurity issues. When I think of computers, I think of Rudy Giuliani. Uh, so he'll be in the private sector, and he'll advise the president from time to time when the, when the president reaches out. The transition team that announced this today, Trump will also occasionally meet with corporate executives whose companies have been affected by cybersecurity issues. Yeah. So he's, Trump he's got, knows a lot about hacking. So. He's got a company. He's yeah. got a company, a consulting yeah. firm. He does. Okay. Uh, retired neurosurgeon Ben Carson. That's he's, right. He's, he's up, up on, on the, the hill, hill today. He proposed that he would go on a, quote, listening tour in order to prepare for his role as the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Yeah. I mean, that's a great idea. You can't – you need to listen. Right. Is it because he doesn't really have the experience in that field? Possibly. Okay. He, he also said that he doesn't feel like he's got the experience enough to run a department of the government, and then they offered him the housing and urban development. Well, so, so. I think what they're saying, though, is other people, the, the deputies will run it, and they're just mm. going to send him on a tour. There you go. It says, okay. Carson diverged significantly from his prepared remarks in which he had not made any mention of a listening tour plan. Apparently, this came up on the spot as he oh. was testifying before Congress. Well, maybe he had the idea on the way up the hill. Possibly. I mean, Who knows? Happen, Who sure. knows? And finally, JetBlue announced Wednesday that it has completed the expansion of Fi Fi. Fly Fi. Fly Fi. It's a free in flight Wi Fi service, making the only airline to offer wireless internet to customers at no additional cost. Oh, neat. Who's this again? JetBlue. It's available Love on it. all 227 of the airline's planes. FlyFi. FlyFi is also uninterrupted Wi-Fi service, meaning customers don't need to wait until they're up in the air before they can get online. From the boarding gate to the arrival gate, your phones and devices are all connected. Now they need something for the elbow. Right. Because 
I mean, now I've got Wi-Fi, but I still have my neighbor's elbow in my ear. Spread the seats out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the internet speeds, right? You think, oh, it's up there. It's, it's not going to be Usually, very good. though, I've heard the Wi-Fi is not very good. Right. I've never actually paid for it. Because oh, yeah. Why would Who you would do pay that? for that? Apparently, they're getting, you know, 15 megabits, which wow. is pretty good. Pretty Some normal, people are standard. reporting up to 30. This is great. So it's almost what you could get at your house. You know what? Good. And that, because they're, I guess, are they seen as a lower budget yeah. airline? But, but they have the TVs and the seats. Right. Now they have Wi-Fi and... That's all you need. Yeah. Just make it like my living room and then just get me to where I need to be. Yeah. And get my give me a couch. Let me sit in my robe and someone rub my feet. Right. Nice frosty beverage and you're ready to go. Mm. Except they, they won't leave the can. That's really good. I think you um, only get half of this one, sir. Come oh, on. that's really good news. Yeah. So and I hope, it, I hope others are listening because that is fantastic that's news. That's the kind of thing that pushes the industry. I'm going the there industry. to buy my next ticket. Right. Can't you just say, look, you can either give me the whole can now and save yourself a trip, or I'm going to make you come back again later. Nope, you can't have the can. No. Do they fear you're going to use it as a weapon? You, know, you can, no, you can ask. The, I, I got, you can ask for the can. You have really? to ask for it. They really? tell you it's at the rear of the plane. I, I always tell my kids, <laughs> ask for the can. And they always say, can I have a can of the beverage, and then the, the attendant will say, do you want ice with that? And they'll say, yes, please. And then – so all my kids get the can. All right. And then we just kick it right down the road. Kick the can. Hey, um, wow, I think – do we did, Were we able to get audio from Rex Tillerson, T-Rex's um, hearing? Were oh, you, you still wanted that? Yeah. Were you able yeah. – let me, let me work a little harder. It's just fascinating audio. Um, that's great. What, what a great day because – uh, you've got the surgeon. What's ben his name? Carson. Ben Carson making up things right making there. Making things up on the fly. But like, I mean, that's a neat idea. Go around yeah. the listening tour, and and and. Uh, There's a lot of problems with uh, in, within the housing and urban development sort of sector of the country, and so he's going to go try to hear what the problems. Here's are. the audio from Rex Tillerson's uh, hearing T Rex. Wow! Can you hear him? Yeah. That's hmm. all we can give you. That's great. That's all we can give you. It's great. Fascinating. Fascinating time. <laughs> um, anyway. Any other news or headlines we have to get to before we have Heather come on to you, talk to us? Oh, here we go. I just – I pulled off – I have a, a pile over here. And yeah. It's kind of like just toss out some papers and this one popped up. Bing. Top 10 uh, best-paying gigs in the United States. Best-paying jobs in the U.S. Oh, good. Top 10. Top so 10. if you're looking for a job – on this, the day of National Work Harder Day. You may need to help me with a couple of these. Maybe while you're working, you could be looking for a job. This according to U.S. News & World Report's 2017 Best Jobs. They're all within the medical or dental fields oh. and all within median salaries in the six figures. Wow. They're, those guys are killing. They're, well, they might be. You never know. That's why they have insurance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the top one, or do you want me to go 10, up, 10 to 1 or just yeah, top what's, down? Yeah, what's the, let's start with the bottom. Well, I'm going to have to let you read this one. Okay. Oh, prosthodontist. No idea what that is. So a, do- a dentist that gives d- does prosthetics. Probably. Okay, okay. I'm assuming like mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a dentist, but it, maybe it's for it, prosthetics. So maybe it's people that with amputations and it's right. not a dentist. It's a dentist. It's a dentist. <laughs> it is a dentist. Um, that, that's number nine. Dentists that's... at one hundred fifty-two thousand dollars. Wow. Uh, pediatrician one seventy. Okay. Psychiatrist, one hundred eighty-seven thousand, and we need a lot of those now because I mean, and that's really. tied with a physician. So yeah, they're, they're MDs. Ortho, an orthodontist, one hundred eighty-seven braces. Uh, OBGYN, babies, one eighty-seven. Man, 
oral and an oral surgeon, maxofacial surgeon. Yeah, that guy. Uh-huh. Again, 187. They're all these are all 187. What's with our mouths? Surgeons and anesthesiologists. Yeah, 187 thousand dollars. Money. So I chose the wrong job. I needed to become a dentist. Yeah, many many think you are a dentist. I'm a debutantist. <laughs> debutantist. Yeah. It's a daunting dentist. Anyway, those are good jobs. But it, it's interesting that so there's nothing in the computer industry. No. It seems like a coder. They make good an money app also. Developer. Just these are the top paying jobs. And we, and I don't know if you remember this. We talked about why men aren't entering the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, why so like twenty fifteen percent of men are unemployed. Right. Right now, of all I mean, cross uh, ethnicity, cross culture, everything. In the end, a lot of it is because they don't see the medical profession as manly. Hmm. They think that's something that others do. Right. And the positions in demand end up being like nurses, yeah. orderlies, things right. of that nature, and men don't they, want to do that. They don't want to go do that. But so. isn't charging whatever you want with no explanation, isn't that kind of a man thing? Well, yeah. And if I have my hand in your gut doing surgery, that's pretty manly. Shadow puppets? That would well, be yeah, inappropriate. I wouldn't call it that. But if I'm the guy that said, "Yeah, I'm the one that you know reattached your aorta," this this story caught my eye. Okay. Do you uh, have you looked at the Amazon Echo? Yes. Have you yes. thought about getting yes. one of these devices? It's yes. kind of a personal assistant. You push the button, it asks you what you want, and you can play music. Or yeah, whatever. I don't like the idea. Having something in your house listening to you? No, you don't like that. Well, like that actually responds. I'm used to saying something and no one responds. Okay. That's, that's more real life for you, right? Yeah. Well, a San Diego TV station sparked complaints this week after an on-air report about a girl who ordered a dollhouse via her parents' Amazon Echo caused Echoes in viewers' homes to also attempt to order dollhouses. Echo, Echo. So now all of a sudden a bunch of dollhouses are ordered? The, the station in San Diego said the blunder happened during Thursday morning news package <laughs> about a Texan six-year-old a Texas six-year-old who racked up big charges while talking to an Echo Gadget in her home. According to a parent's Amazon's account, uh, says, can you play dollhouse with me and get me a dollhouse? Next thing, a $160 dollhouse showed up at the door. That is like a little magic lamp for kids. Yeah, yeah. No wonder absolutely. Amazon loves this. And so they, 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 they said that, and apparently that was enough to set off these Echo boxes all over the San Diego area. And uh, they started ordering dollhouses to be shipped to their homes. What happens when a husband and wife are fighting and the wife's like, what, do I have to just get me another man? Right. And it says this this isn't the first time an ill-conceived TV spot has caused havoc with voice-controlled systems. In 2014, a Microsoft Xbox commercial featuring actor Aaron Paul demonstrating Connect Voice, which was their sort of interactive functionality with the Xbox, was blamed for causing consoles across the U.S. to spontaneously boot up and launch the game Titanfall every time that ad came on. Wow. Because it was voice controlled and it was listening for the trigger. And so whenever this guy talked this about the game good. Titanfall, it would just turn on. And everyone's mad because, you know, turn off your Xbox. I'm not, I'm not you playing the game. You can't say anything, right? Like when you're disciplining your kids, you can't say what you used to say because now your echo is going to. What? Would you jump off a cliff if. And then all of a sudden, Echo's like, do you want me to jump off a cliff? And then I think if you try to deactivate it, it says, I'm sorry, Matt. I can't let you do that. What do you think you're doing, Matt? Get your hands off of my charger. (laughs) Scary. 
That's terrifying. Terrifying, 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 terrifying. Do you hear the echo? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if none of you are having fun, we are. That's what matters. We will take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about New Year's resolutions with your family. How do you get everybody involved in some change for the new year? Who better to help us with that than Hadge, Heather Ann Johnson from FamilyVolley.com. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Uh, If you are into New Year's resolutions and you have a family, you might notice that sometimes you think of doing your own resolutions, but maybe you don't think about how to put this together with your kids, with your spouse, and make it a family affair. Who better to help us with that than Hadge, Heather Ann Johnson. Heather is a professor here at BYU uh, at Brigham Young University and teaches us how to have activities with our families, how to be healthy as a family, and how to stay you know, legal and alive <laughs> while raising a family. Legal. <laughs> All right, now, because the New Year's resolution, I don't always think about it as a family affair. You know what? Actually, most people never even think about it as a family affair. But there's a lot of great power in doing this. We've got a couple of things that come to mind, first of all, and that's the stability behind a family system. Yeah. Now, that stability leads to a lot of people helping to enforce and support what it is you're trying to accomplish, right? So naturally you have this built-in support system. Something else we don't realize is that a life skill our children need is to be able to not just set goals, but to know how to follow through and accomplish goals. And so what better way to help them learn that than side-by-side, step-by-step with them? Oftentimes we say, hey, set three goals and go, you know, get your Eagle Scout this year, go figure it out. And they're like, you know, fish out of water. Figure what? Where do I I I even even know how to open this book and start? And so this gives us an opportunity to teach them by walking with them, which is the best way to teach through example. And they see, oh, mom's doing it, dad's, and we're working mm. together. Plus, you, it seems like we, we want, for example, our children to eat healthier. So then as a mom, you just try to make healthier meals and everyone complains and everyone, right. they're not bought in and to your change. And that's why this is powerful too is because, and one of the things we want to remember is when we're setting these goals are these resolutions. I'm going to give you 10 today, 10 really important ones, regardless of where you are on the spectrum, they apply to all of us. Yeah. Once you have those 10 though, it's really important to get everyone on board as far as the details of each and every one mm. for the exact reason you're referring to. Once we're all in it together, that buy-in means we're much more likely to follow through. We're right. all bought in. That's cool. So that's what we're going to try to do. That's great. Now, there's a couple other things to keep in mind before we start. The first one is we always want to frame goals or resolutions in a positive light. Now, the difference between positive and negative here, for example, you mentioned healthy eating. We're very quick to say no sugar or no dessert this right. year, 2017. That's negative, mm-hmm. right? Instead, a positive is let's eat healthy this yeah. year. That's a positive. Healthy, I mean, because no sugar – All I think about is uh, how bad I want sugar. Right. It's exactly right. And how I don't get it and I'm deprived from it. But healthy eating is not even mentioning sugar. Right. Or anything negative, bad, Mm -hmm. or something that's being taken away. Instead, it's look at all these things you're getting. cool. And so everything needs to be framed positively. So first, you want to let everyone have input. And second, you want to make sure that you frame any goals or resolutions positively. The third thing then to keep in mind before we get into these 10 that I have today for us is we want to make sure that we talk about what's going to be hard. Mm. Now, here's the thing. Our research shows us that one of the biggest reasons resolutions fail is we don't anticipate the moments when sticking to them is going to get hard. Yeah. We, we're just in this la-la land like it's going to be great and it's going to be – and we don't think through, well, wow, what obstacles yeah. might I face? 
let me gear up for those before they hit so I'm not blindsided. Because we – how many times have we set a re- this very resolution and uh-huh. then it got hard and we never dealt with it? You're saying – Point out that there's going to be a moment this will be hard. Exactly right. And there might even be 50. Yeah. And so what are we going to do when it gets hard? Now, you can see already we haven't even gotten into the resolutions and we're already teaching our children skills that mm. don't just help them succeed in our four walls, but these things help them succeed till death forever. They That's need good. these things forever. So be sure that you talk these kind of difficult moments over in advance. Come up with strategies. If it's eating healthy this year, what might be some of the obstacles your family might face? Let's talk about them. Let's talk about how Mm. we might overcome them. Let's talk about what we can do to work through them, and then let's support one another. And this is such just great advice for your own resolutions. How many times have you never thought through your your schedule with exercise? I'm going to get healthy and exercise. But I never thought through my the hard part. What? Why haven't I done sure. it yet? Or when I'm going to get there? Or yeah. will that really work? Or even if we kind of micromanage that one, even the fact that, okay, well, I'm going to run on a treadmill at the gym three times a week. And then we get to the gym and all the treadmills are taken. Yeah. Now, that's what? so silly, uh-huh. right? It's so silly. But oftentimes it's that one little thing. It's that one little excuse. And so we back off and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, no treadmills today. I better just go to the – I better <laughs> just go get myself a protein shake that looks like I worked right. out and head home, right? True. And so we really want to talk through these things and teach our children to anticipate, to solve problems. And this is where we've talked before. You say to them, what could we do if this comes up? Mm-hmm. And now we're getting them to think for themselves so that they know how to work through discouragement and they know how to stick to something. Yeah. We a lot of really good things happening. And we can this. do this so because it's the 11th of January, everyone knows that all New Year's resolutions must begin <laughs> on the 1st of January. But, so it's okay to start one now. It is okay. And in we fact, haven't missed the boat. When I work with families and even couples, I'm a huge advocate that really January 1 means nothing because March 1st is just as important and so is November. That's right. And so it, if anything, Take a minute to assess and say, wait, but we want to be stronger. Let's find ways to do that. That's good. So let's talk about some things we can okay. do. We'll jump into these. The first suggestion I have for you this year, every family needs to start a weekly ritual together. Every family. A ritual meaning some a ritual. activity. A ritual is a meaningful pattern of interaction that we have with other people. Now it has some caveats. There's a difference between a routine and a ritual. Rituals have meaning. Rituals are repeated and rituals are coordinated. The key there to take it from a routine to a ritual is there's got to be some sort of meaning to it. Yeah. The challenge then is that we're throwing out is every family needs to find something of meaning they can do together every single week. As a family. As a family. Cool. Not as a couple. Well, you should be doing it as a couple. A couple's routine too. A ritual too. Actually much more than once a week. Right. Like every day connecting. And not just kids but an entire family. What can you do every week where you connect? Now the repeated and coordinated means you're going to have to put it on a calendar and plan for it and think it through. But that is the difference between a random let's watch a movie and a very intentional we're going to do and look forward to this every week. This and I've always found that the rituals are what you miss. Right. So sure. when so when you when you're when mom and dad die, That's, first thing that could come to mind to all the children is all the rituals. It's we exactly did. right. It's exactly that's right. Cool. And again, remember, that's coming from the power behind them, that it provides predictability, that it's a way to secure our identity, mm-hmm. that it gives us a way to teach all those reasons. Then defend just what you're saying, that all of a sudden we miss them. We want them. The second one, then, is this year we have to commit to making better use of our time. We are so quick as families to say we don't have enough time together. But the fact is we don't make good use of the time we do have together. Immediately things come to mind. For example, we drive in the car with our kids, especially as they get older, all the time. 
Why not, if we're going to be there, make better use of the time we have? Turn off the TVs in the car. Put phones away. Turn the music off. What a great opportunity to chat and talk. And I know even when our kids are little, we don't allow electronics in the car. And one of the things we do is when they're about three or four, I have them give me directions wherever we have to go. Yeah, that's good. As, As silly as that sounds, not only is it an opportunity for me to better understand how their minds work and what they see around mm-hmm. them, but they can tell you where to go and how to get to anything in our right. city. They, and if you don't do that when they're 16, <laughs> they're, they'll never drive. They'll never know where they're right. going. But little things like that where we just need to make better use. We're going to talk about dinner in a minute. It's another one. We all eat dinner tonight. Yeah. Why not make better use of the time? That's Instead cool. of having the TV on, turn it off, sit down together, start your ritual, and, and eat together. That's right? great. So great we're, advice. We're going to make better use of our time. The third one then, we're going to eat, like we said, meant, just mentioned, we're going to eat dinner together this year. If you're not familiar with what research shows about the benefits of eating together, it is worth Googling or ask your Echo, ask Alexa to yeah. tell you the benefits of eating dinner together as a family. They are unbelievable. Even down or as, as big or little as uh, better grades in school, less likely to participate in delinquent behavior, even down to the fact that kids who eat dinner regularly with the family are more likely to be obedient. Uh. They're more likely to subscribe to our boundaries and rules that we put forth in our homes. Now, what parent doesn't want a more <laughs> obedient kid? Yeah, please. Right? Right. And we have to eat. And it happens around the same time. Let's do it together. Now, some goals to shoot for. Four to five times a week, make it last an hour. That includes sitting down, conversing, and cleaning up. That's kind of a goal we're shooting for. That's great. If you don't have it, do whatever you have, right? These are these are guidelines. They're, hey, ultimates. And it could – I guess it could it be a breakfast. So let's say really because of the, your work schedule, dinners are kind of strange. Exactly right. But breakfast, right? It's exactly right. If that's what you've got, do it. Find a way to sit down, put food in your mouth together. Now remember, it's not as much the food that you're putting in. It's right. what's happening around it. So you want to make sure you create an environment. And a good way with dinner or breakfast or any meal to do that is be sure that there's an entry phase and an exit phase when it comes to your ritual. Be sure that, you know, for example, in our house, when my husband comes home from work and they hear the grudge door, that's a call for all the kids to come to the kitchen table. They know that. They know that's when we're going to start. Cool. That's our entry. And then we start with a prayer. Now, exit, we've had to work on. It used to be that everyone just jumped up and disappeared whenever they wanted. We realized that that left me at the table with babies still feeding them while everyone else went off to do whatever they wanted. And so we have a clear exit phase where the kids ask if it's okay to jump up. Once they clear their plate and put it in the dishwasher, then we say, hey, yep, everybody go back to your non-ritual And it's predictable, right? We need the predictability because it makes it easy to know when it's over. Right. And remember, predictability always leads its to, to, excuse me, security and stability. Mm. And so that security and stability puts our kids in a position where it's safe knowing what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. That's cool. So it's really, really important. Okay, let's take a break, come back and do the other seven tips from Heather Ann Johnson. Go check out her website as well, <laughs> familyvolley.com. Great insight, resource, resources to play with your family, to actually create a connection, a unified system, a unified whole. It's really what this world needs. Stick with us. We'll be right back talking New Year's resolutions. Welcome. 
Welcome back, friends. We're talking with Heather Johnson about uh, family rituals and maybe more importantly, New Year's resolutions as a family. She's running through some tips. Keep going, uh, Heather. What else do we need to know to keep the family, you know, New Year's resolutions working? Sure. So these are 10 resolutions that every family, regardless of what your family system looks like, you know, single parent, tradition, it, it doesn't matter. Every family should set these 10 things as their resolutions this year. So our number four, we're going to get through these last six, is this year set a resolution to get your family outside. There you go. Now, here's a couple cool things about this. There's some research that shows that 90% of our best childhood memories took place outside. 90% of our best childhood memories took place outside. That's crazy. That is monumental. That makes sense. So if as parents we're thinking, how can we help our children make great memories and have great experiences, immediately our thought should be outside, outside, outside. Now, outside does a couple other really powerful things. And this works in marriages the exact same way it works with families. Outside provides us with more satisfaction in what we're doing. It also helps us leave distractions behind. And more importantly, regardless of your religion, there is something about being connected to a greater power, Mm. whatever that power looks like for you. It's simply something bigger. Even atheists, there's still something grand yeah. around us. Mother Earth. It's exactly right. right. So it doesn't matter what a religion or, or a greater power looks like to you. No one can deny once we're out there that there is something mm. grand there. And if, what if you live in the city, you live in an apartment? Where do we go? I mean, just getting to a park. Getting anywhere, getting outside. And again, a park does it, a walk down your mm. sidewalk, Yeah, anything. Get out, let there be some vitamin D and some fresh air and watch as your family can reconnect in ways that they cannot do inside. Those distractions are a huge problem, not just for kids, not just technology, but moms especially have a hard time inside because the distractions are visually around them. Oh. I see the laundry pile. I see the kitchen's a mess. I recognize this has to be vacuumed. And it's very hard to actually engage yeah. because we're constantly being drawn in so many directions. So good. So we've got to get outside. The fifth one then, fifth resolution, it is time to start working together again. Now, in the 50s, a lot of – and even in the 70s, a lot of research was done supporting or suggesting, I should say, hypothesizing that families weren't necessarily eating together as much, but they must still be working together. That research came back to show us that actually families weren't working together, Hmm. even in household chores. And more and more now we're seeing that families aren't working together. It is our moral obligation as parents to teach our children to work. It's not – cool. It wouldn't be fun. It is a moral obligation we have. Well, you'll handicap them. It's exactly right. And we hurt ourselves too. We take away those opportunities for a family to strengthen and build around tasks that have to be done. We don't have to go looking for this, right? Work is right in front of us. Teach your children and work together. Work together. And a, a key point here is really one, make it fun, but two, do it with them. Anytime we ship kids off to work, they feel very much shipped off. And it's like, why do you get to hang out here and I get banished to the basement? You don't have to lift a finger, but simply be in the same place with them. You will see them really just flourish when it comes to work. So the next one. The next one is we're gonna volunteer as a family this year. Healthy families don't just take from a community. Healthy families give back to a community and take from a community. That's great. If you think how families function, we are constantly taking, we're constantly consuming 
from the community around us, whether it's the fact that we participate in T-ball and extracurricular community activities or we use the stores or we use the sidewalks. We are consumers when it comes to our community. It's really important that we switch that around and give back. Cool. So we need to find ways this year and always one of those resolutions needs to be to volunteer and give back in some way to create that healthy balance so our children understand it's the world is not just here to give us. We need to make sure that we're giving yeah. back. So that one's really important. This next one's a little bit different, but it's very powerful. This year, a challenge for you as a New Year's resolution is to start a family journal. Now, we don't hear this a lot. It's something that I do with all families and even couples as I start working with them is I ask them to start a family journal. Now, oftentimes in a family, you have one person who kind of is the record keeper. Yeah. If you're lucky. Some of us don't have any family members who want to record anything. (laughs) But It's time to put that in a family's hands. Can you imagine how powerful it would be in 5, 10, 50, 100 years to have the perspectives of more than just a single individual in your family? Plus, this gives everyone an opportunity to express themselves in a very safe environment, and it collaborates and brings everyone together as far as feelings, ideas, things they want to do, don't want to do, what they like, and it's a really great place to do that. So get anything, your 99-cent composition book. The next question I always get is family say, well, when in the world are we supposed to find time to do that? Here's my first suggestion. You write in the family journal during commercials while you're watching TV. Mm -hmm. Happens every night in your home. You can easily find a time to do it. You put it on the job chart as far as, hey, what are jobs today? Write in the journal, make sure you make your bed and make sure you put your shoes away. And you actually, because you could, I'm just thinking the whole time, you could start a blog and then write, go type on the journal. And make it electronic. If you have little kids, they're drawing, they're scribbling, they're watching their advancement as last year all they could do is scribble lines with a blue crayon and this year they could draw a sun and a house and a little person. It's amazing what starts to happen. It just brings everyone to this very same place Hmm. and there's a lot of power That's cool. So it's another challenge. Okay, number eight, it's time to tame technology or put down our devices this year. They have become so consuming that they're hurting our relationships. We hear this. We've heard it a million times. You and I have talked about it. You've talked about it plenty here. But really, technology is killing those relationships. We're seeing it all the way into college years where, you know, college-age kids can't date because they actually can't have conversations with someone else unless it's through a phone. Mm. So we're going to find ways to tame it. Even if we could turn it off for 15 minutes a day and put those 15 minutes towards our family, that's 15 minutes of powerful family time that we didn't have otherwise. So we're going to tame technology. And we've got two more we're going to throw in really fast. The ninth one then, resolution this year for families, is it's time to be better to each other. It's time to go back to selfless, empathetic kindness. Now, something that we neglect to teach our children is that the relationships they build with one another and with a family system while they're young are the same relationships that they will have as they grow into adulthood. If we don't help them strengthen, get along, be empathetic when they're young, they become adults who now get married to other people and have their own lives and don't have good relationships with each other. Those good relationships as adults happen as a result of our willingness as parents to help build those relationships young, to take care of the jealousy and the competition and the unkind words and the hurtful, you know, jabs and stabs that that start to happen in our home when we're not focused on being better to one another. Oh, and they've got to learn it anyway. And you want your family to exist 
beyond – it's exactly yeah. right – beyond 18 years old in high school, right? We right. want that. And once you bring in spouses, it's a whole new ballgame. Oh, yeah. It's a whole new you know situation. So you've got to make sure that those family relationships are very strong. So regardless of who marries in, what happens or distance, you still have them. That's cool. Last one. And the last one is it is time this year to chat more. We've got to spend more time talking to our family members. Now, to make one point with this, even though there's a million we could, oftentimes families will say, okay, wait, how am I going to do this? How do I know? My kids don't want to talk to me. Actually, they do. And so we're going to look at this a little bit differently. There's been a lot of attachment therapy work done specifically with marriages. But the attachment therapy research applies the exact same way to children and parents. Attachment points are opportunities where our kids or family members reach out to us to create an attachment. And essentially what they're asking is, hey, are you you there? Do you see me? Do you know I exist? Mm. This is when they come in and, you know, they might make statements like, man, today was long. Well, when I hear that from our 12-year-old, she's not really worried about how long the day was or if it was long or short. She's really just asking, hey, mom, do you see me? Are you around? Mm. Do you know I exist? These things are happening with our family members all day long. Our job this year is to take a step back and when they happen, jump on them. Because you only have That's a few it. chances. Right. So instead of dismissing them, if you want to know how to have more conversation in your family, be very open to recognizing those attachment opportunities and grab on to them. They're even as simple as, you know, when I walk in and ask my husband if what I have on looks okay, yeah, I care, but really I just want him to, you know, know yeah. I'm there. Do, yeah. Do you know I'm here? Hello? Do you know yeah. I'm, you know, headed out to this thing and care and can I have a hug that says you're going to kill it? Yeah. I, I, I'm just looking for so an attachment. You, this happens all day. So so with this one, take a step back and look for those little pings where family members are shooting out, you know, little darts saying, hey, do you see me? And jump on them. Mm. Use those for opportunities to That's talk to That's great. Had you did it again. Great ideas. Ten New Year's resolutions any family can work on. And what if you only nailed one of them? Then you are just in such a better place than you were you in are. 2016. One. Just yeah. go for one if you've got just, it. Just do. Just look at them. Take them to your kids. <laughs> it's great stuff. Heather Ann Johnson. Go to her website, familyvolley.com. We'll take a break. Come back with our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Let's shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's up on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. Matt Townsend shoots and scores. He scores. How are you? Yes. Hey, We're doing really well, man. How got, are you? I've got great news for you. Okay. Krispy Kreme mm. set to release new Sweet America range of donuts in Japan, though. They're now going to start adding and dressing up the, the the average, you know, the typical uh, Krispy Kreme with M&M's, Oreos, and Hershey chocolates. Hmm. I think they're pretty good just plain. But I do too. Just the Why not, right? You are. Thank you, Ethel Merman. <laughs> <laughs> that was beautiful. That was incredible. So would you buy them? But yeah, I mean, buy even an, though you I'd like them an just Oreo the way one for sure. Is my dollar going to translate? Yes. Okay. It does. I mean, in... Some way. How many yen does a dollar get you? I don't know. I don't know. I wonder if they'll have them in Korea, South Korea. Oh, how many? One? North Korea, you better believe they ain't going to have them. They ain't going to have them there. Yeah. That's for sure. Well, at least. <laughs> 88 cents for every U.S. dollar. 88? 88, 88 
Japanese One yen, yen is 88 cents. Hmm. Really? Yeah. yeah, I'm probably not going to Japan right now. Yeah, don't do it. Not a good time. Not a I good time. I need it to be time. over a dollar. <laughs> when I was in Brazil on my LDS, two-year LDS mission trip, uh, it was like three to one. Was it, yeah, it was oh, fantastic. Yeah. When I was in Argentina on my LDS mission trip, it was about five thousand to one. <laughs> it was crazy. Watashi wa kankoku de matsujitose to Jesus Kiristo gyokai no senkyo shideshita. What? That is Spanish for the Nino. No, that's actually Japanese. Is it? Uh huh. Where did you it learn means Japanese? Japanese is in China, getting lots of buckets. Make, it means make many buckets. In Jap, I just said in Japanese. I was a missionary. In Korea. Oh, how wow. That's fantastic. My brother went to Japan. He taught me that. That's great. See, families are forever. <laughs> they can be. They totally can be. And talk to me about your show. You're, you're going to keep doing it. Um, I know today's just another, uh, you know. Another day in paradise. Another day in paradise. We're going to do it. What are you going to be covering? Well, it's game day first and foremost Ball for night. BYU basketball. <laughs> the Cougars host San Francisco. Steve Cleveland, the president coach. Brought up an interesting point earlier this week saying that BYU, he feels, has a good shot to beat everybody not named St. Mary's and Gonzaga this year. Now, mm. here's the thing. BYU has not come close to doing that in each of the previous five seasons in yeah. the WCC. So why would it be different this year? We will discuss what are the chances of BYU winning out against the, we call them St. Zaga, St. Mary's and Gonzaga, mm. St. Zaga, against the non-St. Zaga. So BYU plays San Francisco tonight, 12.5 point fave. You can watch it, listen to it on BYU TV, BYU Radio, 9 Eastern tonight. We'll discuss that. Blaine Fowler on the keys to victory against San Francisco. His thoughts on the uh, aforementioned question, as well as uh, how's BYU doing in bracketology? Are they anywhere to be seen? Does anyone have them in their brackets? Who better to ask than Bracket Matrix, Jerem? (laughs) Exactly. Our friend Bracket Matrix. And Dave Rose, (laughs) last night on the Coach Show, had an interesting comment about whether he thinks BYU can make the tourney or not and what it would take. Well, now I'm, I'm so curious. But you'll share that in six minutes. That we will. We'll talk about... Good. Come Talk up. about good. That's good. Yeah. Way to, way to throw that in there, too. Mm-hmm. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate you. Um, I know you've got a lot of uh, you know, work to go do, some sit-ups to perform before you get on the air. Luckily, it's waist-up. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like, it's like sternum up. What's so funny is you guys look so fit from the waist-up, but your mm-hmm. legs are huge. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why. Well, I think it's because you're eating too many of the Krispy Kremes. I need to get on the bike, man. Get on the bike. Have somebody uh, work out some of those uh, donuts out of your legs. Never. (laughs) Gentlemen, have a great show. Knock them dead. Thanks, Matt. Peace out. Yeah, they they load it up. They're locked and they're loaded. Good stuff. Jeffrey, have you ever lost your car? Um, Yeah. You want to tell us about it? Well, just temporarily because you park in a – Packed parking lot, and you can't what's, remember what's where you What's the parked? longest you've gone unable to find your car in a mm. parking lot? Five minutes? Wow. Yeah. I Ten mean, minutes? Yeah. I mean, it might be you have to get to another level. Oh, I must have. Huh. How do you find your car? Well, most of the time, the honking key doesn't work. Yeah. That's the technical term for it. The honking key. Yes. Sounds like a derogative term where's my honking key (laughs) but that doesn't work unless you're near the car right and even then it usually doesn't what if i told you that a man forgot where he parked his car six months ago and he then was just finally reunited with it i would think somebody stole it 
<sighs> he needs his honking keys. Um, this guy, a BMW owner, uh, who left his car in a multi-story parking garage six months ago while going to a concert in Manchester, England. He parked his vehicle to go to the gig after driving from down, down from Scotland. However, when the gig ended, he forgot which parking garage he had left it in. Then he spent five days searching for it before giving up. He emailed various companies and the police to see if it had been located or removed, but to no avail. Thankfully, officers finally stumbled across the apparently abandoned car last Friday. It took six months to find it. They checked the records, found it that it had been reported lost or stolen, then contacted the owner with good news. At a guess, the officers predict the bill may be the re- in the region of about $6,000 in parking fees. Reunited and it feels mm. so good. There you are, baby. We both are so excited. I have missed you so much. Reunited. Hey, hey. Let me turn the heater on for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that uh, we don't need to use no music. We got you and your pipes. Jeff, a lot of guys would not sing. I think I've, I don't think I've ever heard Terry sing. Mm-mm. And, you know, that was moving. That was totally moving. Thank you. And again, th- congratulations to this guy. Sure, he has to pay a $6,000 bill. Maybe it would have been better if the car had just been stolen. Yeah. Or, hey, maybe next time, maybe you ought to write down the address of where you're parking your car. It's probably like an 84 Toyota. I know. I think the new iPhone 7, you can actually mark on – you can mark where you do park your car. You just go to the app, the Google app or whatever, and you can just mark your car. Apple. Who who manufactures that again? Um, Apple. It all started with Adam and Eve. Oh, boy. Hey, as you know, we like to always wrap up the show with a hero story. Here is a hero. Uh, we got the story off of Yahoo.com. 11-year-old girl hailed as a hero after calling 911 during a home invasion. An 11-year-old girl in Florida called 911 from her bedroom closet with three suspects were burglarizing the family's home. They took an estimated $13,000 worth of items, including Christmas presents, according to the police. Ashley Bermudez of Meadows Woods, Florida, retreated to her closet in the upstairs bedroom after watching an unknown vehicle pull into the driveway of their home. She said, I was trying to be very quiet while I was in the closet so that they can't hear me. Ashley can be heard on 9-11 pleading with the dispatcher or 9-1-1 pleading with the dispatcher um, uh, to send help, help in a quiet voice. The girl was on winter break from her school. She was home alone as her mom had left to run an errand. Hello, please. I need help. I need help. I need help. She said, they're breaking into my house. Please come quick. The suspects later entered the bedroom where Ashley was hiding, knocked down a door, according to police. Oh, no, please, please. I won't say anything. I promise you. Ashley can be heard saying that on the call uh, to 911. Um, the Orange County Sheriff's Department said in a Facebook post they were able to arrest the suspects identified by police as 18-year-old male and two juveniles, 16 and 14. And due to Ashley's incredibly accurate descriptions, she, she changed the game. People were arrested because she was able to, to give those. And she, her life was saved because she followed the instructions that the dispatcher was giving her. So congratulations, Ashley. You're the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. How cool is that? And by the way, well-trained, cool-headed, powerful. Plus, can you imagine when mom comes home and the police are there? What are you thinking? Terrified? 
Oh, I love it when a story can turn out. Well, that's the show, my friends. We can't do it without you. We'll be back tomorrow. You can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher. Go look up BYURadio.org if you want to live stream us. We'll be back tomorrow to give you more ideas, more tools, information, everything you need to be happier, to live longer, lead healthier, happier lives as well. Until tomorrow, my friends, make it a great one. Take care of each other, and we'll talk again tomorrow.